Hey, I'm not sure if any of you have heard yet, but the University of Oklahoma football program lost back-to-back regular season games for the first time since 1999 last Saturday against Iowa State. Now, the game was undeniably ugly, similar to the K-State game in the sense that all the things that have plagued OU over the course of the last decade reared their ugly head in the worst possible moments. Penalties, coverage busts, missed tackles, having extremely short guys playing the most important defensive position in the conference— It was all there. The fan base is not in a great spot right now. And that tends to happen when you're presented with a situation you haven't been in as a program in 21 years. And if the general consensus amongst the fan base right now isn't panic, then, well, it's awfully close to that point. Now, if you listen to the podcast last week where I was so frustrated in the K-State loss that I refused to even watch it back, it'd be totally reasonable for you to expect that you're about to get two hours of venting, rage, and frustration. But that's not how I'm feeling at all after rewatching the Iowa State game. I think everyone needs to take a deep breath and calm down. Small downturns like this in college football are cyclical and should be expected. And when you actually put everything down on paper, it's not surprising at all that OU has started this season one and two. Just to summarize, here's what OU has been up against this season. The defense lost its three best players from 2019 to the NFL, Neville Gallimore, Kenneth Murray, and Parnell Motley, one for each level of the unit. They did return a lot of returning experience, but they also have been without their two best returning players, Ronnie Perkins and Jalen Redman, at two positions of extreme importance in this league. Two guys who are supposed to be important pieces on the defensive side were also lost for the season at the beginning of fall practice. That'd be Caleb Kelly and Justin Harrington, both on two different levels of the defense, two levels of the defense that are really struggling right now. Moving over to offense, the running back room is completely decimated. Trey Sermon transferred to Ohio State in January. Kennedy Brooks opted out, and Ramondre Stevenson, who I think is the best non-quarterback player on the offense, was suspended for doing something he could legally do with no problem whatsoever as a resident of Oklahoma, as long as he wasn't a football player sanctioned by the NCAA. It's also now starting to look like that the offense is probably missing their two best wide receivers as well, Jaden Hazelwood and Trajan Bridges, one lost to injury and the other lost to the same suspension as Ramondre. Put it all together like that, this is massive. Outside of Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, who in the country could withstand losing their two best defensive players and arguably three best offensive skill players all while dealing with COVID and typical injuries that come with a typical football season. I know as OU fans, we like to fancy ourselves on the same level as those programs, but we're just not yet. Even Dabo had to go through what seems like countless years of Clemsoning before his program started putting teams like Iowa State away consistently. And even with all of that garbage, OU won the vast majority of battles play-by-play in both of their losses this season. When you go back and watch, especially the Iowa State game, there's just a whole lot more to like than I anticipated. Now, there's, of course, some things to be frustrated about, and Lee and I will go into those in great detail. But count me as someone right now who thinks Lincoln Riley isn't just blowing smoke when he says, the team is close. Now, close to what? Definitely not close to being national championship ready at all. But are they close to being a really good football team capable of winning this conference? Absolutely. Let's dig into this thing and figure out what's going on. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Rock 
Purdy throwing deep into double coverage. And it's knocked down. He was trying to get it to Landon Acres. And it was batted out of the air by Brendan Radley Hiles. Well, he got hit right as he threw, and that ball kind of sailed on him. And he has Landon Acres to thank because Landon Acres just went up and played defense and knocked that ball away. This should have been an interception. It goes down as a PBU, but. You heard Todd Blackledge. That should have been an interception for Brendan Radley-Hiles late in the third quarter of a one-possession game. Three plays later, Brock Purdy hit Xavier Hutchinson on a slant that went 65 yards for a touchdown, giving the Cyclones a 23-20 lead. When the dust settled, the Sooners had lost back-to-back games for the first time since Grant and I started paying attention to Oklahoma football all the way back in 1999, Bob Stoops' first year on the job. Hey everyone, I am Lee Benson. I'll bring back Grant here in a moment. A lot to talk about today, of course. First off, as always, I'd like to thank all of you listeners out there. This is the fourth season of OU football that we've been around, and as far as podcasting about, I should say. And so far, this is the first year that has really tested our patience this early on in the season. Hopefully, Grant and I continue to provide you all with some insight and some different thoughts that you haven't heard yet, or at least we provide you with a little more nuance and substance to the larger debate that rages on surrounding Oklahoma football. Feel free to follow Grant on Twitter at Grant Benson, at Grant Benson 25, and I'm at Lee Benson News 9. And if you'd like to reach out to us on Facebook, search for the West of Everest Facebook page, give it a like, and feel free to message and comment about whatever you want to, preferably Oklahoma football stuff, but you know, whatever you want to do. It's a free country. I do love the First Amendment. Somebody else who loves the First Amendment and the Constitution of the United States of America, Grant, big history guy over there. What's going on today? I was not expecting that introduction at all. Not, this is the well, first good. time I've even seen like the script and everything, and I was sort of reading ahead, and I was like, what in the world? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, who's got two thumbs and loves the First Amendment and the Constitution? <laughs> this guy. Uh, okay, so you and I had essentially a 45-minute-long pre-show podcast that we didn't record where we've already hashed out a lot of our uh, agreements and disagreements so just to give the listeners a, a heads up we've already gotten warmed up today here's where I want to begin on the actual show that we are recording my thoughts on this team have not changed really at all from what they were at this time last week I'm not really concerned about the offense it's still really good and Spencer Rattler is really really good I think the offensive line's play against Iowa State was very similar to their performance against Kansas State. Uh, mostly pretty good with a couple missteps and some pass pro problems late in the game. Also, you know, some bad penalties mixed in. But mostly the O-line is not as bad as you may think they are. I know that may be a minority opinion in Sooner Nation, but that's what I am seeing when I watch back the tape. If there are any concerns about the offense from my perspective, it's the running backs and the wide receivers, and we can dive more into the details as we go on with the show. As for the defense, still, obviously, my biggest concern. To me, that should be painstakingly obvious to anybody who's watched this team for more than five minutes. I asked Oklahoma to keep the Iowa State big plays to three. Obviously, I'd prefer none, but after K-State got six against Oklahoma's defense, I thought it was kind of fair to ask for me to, to cut that number in half against Iowa State. Instead, OU gave up more big plays against the Cyclones, seven plays that went for 20-plus yards, 35, 21, 22, 42, 28, 65, and 36. 
That's the yardage in seven plays they got. That's 249 yards on just seven snaps. Hey, but if you take those plays away from Iowa State on Saturday, the Sooners' defense allowed just 3.4 yards per play. The problem area on defense is obviously the secondary. Basically, every big play allowed this season has been through the air. Brock Purdy, I think, is a good quarterback, but he hasn't really developed as much as I thought he would after seeing him play as a true freshman back in 2018. Purdy was constantly trying to give the ball away to Oklahoma on Saturday, specifically to the secondary, and the Sooners said over and over again, nah, we're good. You go ahead and keep it. It took Isaiah Thomas to actually slap the ball out of Purdy's hands for Oklahoma to finally get a takeaway late in that game. Before that play, before that fumble, I counted four turnover-worthy throws by Brock Purdy, none of which resulted in a turnover. So that's my opening rant, I guess, to give you all an idea of where my head's at today. Grant, I don't know if you have an opening rant. You, you gave your opening take, so maybe that kind of fills in for your opening rant. But, you know, where do you want to start? Where do you want to go with this discussion? I'm going to try really hard not to go on any rants on this thing. I would, I would you know, kind of when, when the rest of the fan base is zigging, I would like to zag a little bit. Um, I'm not as doom and gloom as everybody else. Um, you know, I just, I kind of half expected this season to be sort of tough right from the outset. I thought they were sort of due for one of those 2005, 2009, 2014 type seasons. To me, it just kind of made logical sense that that would happen when they were missing so many guys and going through COVID and all of this stuff. Now, of course, I have been. There were times, you know, over the last month or so that I got really excited thinking about the ceiling of this offense and the ceiling of this team. And I got carried away a little bit at times. Uh, but I think we're all kind of going back down to reality a little bit here. And, you know, I those seasons, those 2005, 2009, 2014s, those seasons are never fun. But, I mean, like I said in my opening take, unless you are Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, it happens to everybody. So, I... I kind of want to start there just to just to set expectations in the sense that guys the the sky is not falling. It's it's really not. There are like there are some things that people have gotten a little carried away with that aren't as bad as they seem and there are some things that are le- a legitimate issue that need to be corrected. Um and I'm and I'm kind of hoping to be the the voice of reason for a change in, in this podcast. Because I, I'm really not as down on this team as, as, as others are. I think they're going to take their licks this season, but I think they're really going to be better for it in, in the future and later down the line. Um, so that, that's, that's, like, that's, that's where I want to start with this as well. There's, of course, I'm frustrated. I'm upset that they lost on Saturday night. I don't want them to be one and two. The fact that they're seemingly out of the playoffs... Uh, have a really you know tough road to hoe to even win the conference. It looks like I'm not happy about any of that, but also I I, I want there to be some perspective. Uh, let's let's just let's let's kind of take a a bit of a deep breath. Let's look at this and and let's try to just kind of figure out uh, where they can get better and you know go from there. Because I I just I don't know I don't OU football is I think you know for a lot of us it, it's it's an escape for me and it's also something that's really important in my life. I hate it when something like this that's supposed to be an escape or something that's also just really important in my life. I hate it when there's so much negativity surrounding it, especially when I don't think there necessarily needs to be that much negativity. And of course, like I understand, I hate losing. It's the worst. I was, I was upset on Saturday night along with everyone else and pulling my hair out. Um, but I have had, I've had, I've had time to kind of breathe, look at it sort of, you know, from, from the top down view 
and I really don't think it's as bad as some people are envisioning. So I think the theme of what you're talking about seems to be expectations. And we have talked about how our expectations for this team, at least since we've had this podcast, at least from my perspective, is always win a national championship. That's, that's the point of the game. Who cares if you don't win a national championship? Oklahoma wins the Big 12 all the time. I know Oklahoma fans are spoiled. Sorry, that's a reality. And your, your whole thing is that you're looking back at what, 2005, 2009, 2014, and you're, you're using perspective. And I, that's, that's, that's valuable. I think that's valuable for sure. Uh, I haven't even thought about those seasons at all until you brought them up. To me, everything's in a vacuum this one year. I don't, I don't really necessarily care about those previous years. But in the sense that expectations need to be talked about, I think is fair. And maybe if I hadn't have changed my thoughts and expectations after the way last year ended, I would be a lot more critical than, than I, than I am right now, because that peach bowl and everything that happened with it reiterated and, and showed me that this team is, is nowhere near it needs to be to actually win a national championship. And so that's been my standard for the last three, four years since we started this podcast. And I kind of look myself in the mirror and realize, all right, for you to enjoy watching this team the, as much as possible, you're going to have to really sit back and realize that a national championship with this current roster and the way things are going is not realistic. So keep that in mind going into the season, going into the, the next year until you start to see actual changes when it comes to the scoreboard. You see more dominant defensive players and performances. And so... I had that in my mind in January and I had it kind of in my mind in July and August. And then, like I said, last week in the opening take, I started to get my mind changed and I started to fall for it all after Oklahoma looked really good against a bad FCS team. And that's on me. But now after I was humbled a little bit and realized that I was in a, you know, I, I, for, I had forgotten everything that I had told myself for the last nine months. I'm, re I'm remembering it now. And Oklahoma being one and two at this point is not making me pull my hair out as much as it could. My biggest issue is that it's a really, and I'm going to use this word probably a lot in this podcast. I used it a, a lot last podcast. It's a very avoidable one and two because of what the defense has done at times in the last two games, because the offense in my mind, like I said a little bit ago, and I know that you feel the same way as well. The offense is still really, really good. And there's tons of promise and the offense is fine. And so it's just annoying to me that the defense for the majority of the last two games has played really well. And it's usually in the first first half. And Alex Grinch spoke today. We we're recording this Wednesday night. He made the blunt statement that if we would have won the fourth quarter, of the last two games, we'd have two very different outcomes. Yes, the problems that we saw would still be there yet. We'd still he, he inferred he didn't say this outright, but he inferred that at least the win loss record would be different. And he's right about that. So. It's frustrating to me that it's such an avoidable one and two. This team should be three and zero, even with all the missing people that you mentioned in the opening take, even with um, uh, dealing with COVID, even with all the stuff. This team still should be three and zero, but the defense has made such big avoidable blunders in the last two games, and the offense is not without its mistakes. It certainly is, but the defense, in my opinion, the mistakes the defense have made have been so much easier to prevent, and so that's why it's just uh, it's. I, I, I'm not going to pull my hair out. Like I'm going into this OU Texas game and open mind. I, I don't feel good about it. 
I don't think I've seen enough on tape to think Oklahoma's going to – I'll just say it right now, I don't think Oklahoma's going to win the game. I, it, I, I don't know how you can watch the last two games and see basically the exact same script has played out, and they're going to play a Texas team who's probably better than Kansas State and both Iowa State with a veteran quarterback. So I don't know if we know that Texas is better than Iowa State. We've like we sure you're right. We we, we don't like know. we we saw we be. saw Texas need a miracle to beat Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas should be one and two as well. You could argue. You're right. You're right about that. And so, uh, and granted, I haven't watched as much Texas as I've watched OU. So maybe the Texas fan base would maybe they're having a podcast very similar to this. Like, man, this Texas team. How are they going to go in and beat Oklahoma? This is embarrassing. Blah blah blah. But also, Texas could easily be three and zero, oh, too, like Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, they, they could have won the game against TCU. They fumbled at the one-yard line. doesn't matter. We'll talk, we can talk about that later. So, anyways, that's kind of my thoughts to reply to you, and I know that you want to – it sounds like you want to talk more about – do you, how much do you want to talk about those other teams? If, or is that just kind of a starting point? Uh, we the, can talk – 2005, 2000 – because, honestly, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on that because I don't – I have very vague memories of those. Especially, I don't have any memories of 2014. I wasn't paying attention. I know – I uh, actually, hold on. Let's go with this. I agree with you that it's clear that this team – the little I know about 2014, this team is much better than the 2014 team. I can tell you that. And 2009, the defense was awesome in 2009. It just sucked that the offense wasn't even any, anywhere near. And that's what I remember about 2009. And 05, that's whenever I, I wasn't as dialed into 05 because I was, I, yeah, I was kind of busy with being a senior in high school. And so, yeah, I don't remember. I, I remember Paul Thompson playing. That, that was the year they lost to TCU in the first game. So there was a lot of issues with that as well. No, I don't like. Um, but, we don't need to. Yeah. I don't need to go line by line and talk about each of those teams. Like I, I can bring them up as a reference, but no, I mean those like those teams are a lot different. And I just the reason why I think about them a lot is because I, I you know, I've heard a lot of people sort of poo-poo the offensive line this year and whatnot. People saying that it's 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 the worst they've seen since so and so. And is like, that what people I, are I just, saying? I, 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 I feel heard. like people have Ooh. really short memories. That in those 2005 and 2009 seasons, the offensive line was getting freaking blown up on every single play, like physically dominated. Like it was bad. It was really bad. That's not what's happening right now at all. Watch the game. Actually, I so I share your sentiments on the offensive line. I think we have a minority opinion in the fan base and within the media, and that's okay. That. I'm not an expert on the offensive line, but I think, and you can piggyback off this, and I have some sound from Lincoln Riley because I think Lincoln Riley is telling us that he's not that worried about the offensive line either in the, the most like way to, to make sure that it's an entire team effort. And I have some sound to play of him answering a question about the offensive line and then answering a question about the running backs, which is you and I, we both think that the running backs actually are the reason why the running game is not where it needs to be. And I'll play it here in a, a little bit, but you can kind of hear the tone and the way Riley answers it. To me, and maybe it's just my bias that I, I'm reading it between the lines, to me it sounds like he is much more critical of the running backs than the offensive line. In fact, in fact you know what, let's play it right now because I'm talking about it. So here's Lincoln Riley talking about, uh, asking about the offensive line not playing you know, up to its standard or not playing well. Here's what he had to say. They've done some good things. I mean, they really have. I, You know, it's... Everybody thinks, well, if you're you know, not running the football well or if you give up a sack, that all of a sudden what's well, automatically on the offensive line. Well, no, it's not. We've had some of the times when we haven't ran it well this year. You know, backs have missed cuts. Uh, I've made some poor, poor calls, poor decisions on my part. Receivers have missed blocks. I mean, we've had 
uh, get a lot of nine and ten man football, and uh, same thing in the in the pass pro game and 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 all of that. So uh, I don't think they're any more or less to blame than 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 anybody for any of the things that haven't gone our way. Um, I do think there is a lot of positives and a lot of promise. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's a position that we hold in just you know very high regard here, and we do have high expectations for them and and. Uh, they've done a lot of good things, but can they play better? Uh, yes, they can. And uh, I know the guy we got coaching them will we'll stop at nothing to, to get them to that point. Okay, Grant, and before you comment on that, I do want to play Riley. He was asked specifically about the running backs later on, and this is the press conference, the Zoom call on Tuesday, and he was asked about how he feels about the running backs so far, and here's what Lincoln Riley had to say. Uh, they've, been, they've been okay. Uh, we expect more of those guys too. You know, we have played with a little bit of a, you know, it's been a little bit of musical chairs, um, you know, in there a little bit. So, you know, hopefully, you know, I think TJ can having him back now kind of full go, you know, help solidify the room. Um, and we'll continue to bring those, those young guys along because we're, we're certainly going to need them as well. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some positives, there's promise. Um, but then there's also, you know, some, some key mistakes that, that we need them to shore up. Again, we've told you how we feel about the offensive line and the running backs. So maybe that's that's clouding or making me think a certain way. But again, I think reading the tea leaves of both of those comments, to me, it sounded like Riley has a little bit more of a concern, and maybe that's too strong of a word, with the running backs compared to his offensive line. First, I think it's the first time you've heard those comments, Grant. What were your takeaways? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I share your opinion too. I guess... Um I guess I'm not, I, I just, I don't really know what everyone else is seeing in terms of the offensive line. I, I understand you can look at the numbers and you can say, yeah, they're not, they're the not numbers look bad. Very, the, what? That, that's a, that's a, the numbers look bad. That's an easy piece the numbers of evidence. Look bad. Like, they're, they're not, that's, they're not great. That's, that's score one for the offensive lines. Not, not doing well. And I'll admit that like you can't, but sorry, I just wanted to make that very clear. The numbers are not that good. They're averaging less than four yards per carry. I just like, I'm. And and you and I, I guess, sort of gotten a bit of tiff before we went on about this. But it's like, if, if if you think Oklahoma's offensive line play is bad, I would love to know what Iowa State fans think about their offensive line. I, I just I, I don't. Where are the guys consistently in the backfield on the defense that this offensive line is giving up? Where are the free runners and pass protection that they're consistently giving up? It doesn't exist. There's a play here and there that they don't block well, that they get beat on. Yep. But is was that not the case in 2017 and 2018 as well when they were the best offensive line in college football? Of course they got beat on some plays. Like They didn't run the ball extremely well in 2017 until halfway through the season. I guess I, I'm, I think what's going on with the offensive line right now and the perception of it, it's all about expectations. They had a lot of guys coming back, a lot of starts coming back, a lot of guys who have played a lot of football. And the fact that they are not dominant, I think is surprising to people and disappointing to some people. The fact that they pretty much just look exactly like they did last year and the fact that they don't have the same guys running behind them so they don't look as good, I think that's what's happening right now. I, I, I mean, and of course that's very simplistic and there's a lot of people who know a lot more about X's and O's than I am who have said the offensive line really hasn't been good. I maybe I need to do a better job of of educating myself because this is this is not a bad offensive line. It just isn't. 
So let's be specific because one of the last things you said is the most important thing because we've talked about we think the running backs are not playing very well. And specific, I mean, that's. Yeah, sorry. Like if said, I they're, they're decimated. So let me like. Sorry. Actually, okay, yeah, let me let me give you my take on the running backs. And um, I'm yeah, I, I was talking to you before we came on, Lee, and I, I have a very strong opinion here. Um, I think this 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 one two punch that we're seeing at running back right now with Pleasure and McGowan. That ain't it, man. They're not good enough. And I know a lot of people really like Seth McGowan, and he may be really good later down the line. Right now, if they were at full strength, he would absolutely be a redshirt guy. He's not ready to play major Division I college football. Way too many plays left on the field when he is out there. Um, TJ Pleasure, I think, it's, I think it's pretty obvious why we haven't seen much of him until this point. He looks totally serviceable. I, 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 think, he's, I, I think he's fine. Uh, and even good, actually, picking up blitzers and stuff like that. Like, I'm actually pleasantly surprised with that. In terms of being a guy that you put in the backfield and you hand off to, he's nothing more than just a change of pace guy. And I think that's the same for Seth McGowan right now, too. And I, I, I really think there's just a lot of plays that I see out there that if it was a guy like Ramondre Stevenson or Kennedy Brooks or Trey Sermon, and I, I think especially Ramondre Stevenson, there would be a lot of explosive plays there that are being left on the field by these current running backs. Um, we can, and I, 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 I took a ton of notes rewatching the Iowa State game, and I just like the running backs just are not good enough right now. the The quality of running back that Brees Hall is compared to what OU is running out there on Saturday night, the gap there is just really large. It's really vast, um, and. I'm just kind of surprised that not anyone, not, not not anyone else, has really been picking up on that. The running backs have been—I don't want to say they've been bad because I think they've done everything that they've been asked to do. I just don't think they're good enough, and that's about as nicely as I can put it. Okay, so let's—it's important in this situation to provide specific examples. And you—you you said that they're leaving a lot of stuff on the field. Uh, and like kind of like a lot of general statements and you said you took a lot of notes and so did I so I think we could we should go through and see and and say what we saw here is the the minimum what you want from a running back is that you get what is blocked for you the maximum is that you get what is blocked for you and also you're able to to make a guy miss here and there make some explosive plays and get away and and you know you, you can be responsible as a running back for that extra defender that maybe wasn't accounted for and you can make that guy miss you can get some extra yardage for what we're seeing from T.J. Pledger and, and more specifically Seth McGowan, especially against Iowa State, is that at times they don't even get what's blocked for them, and sometimes they get less than what's blocked from them. And then whenever they do get from, whenever they do get what is blocked for them, they're not able to take on that defender one on one and get some extra yardage and make somebody miss and make an explosive play. They're, the, the the plays in which they are getting things set up well for them are only resulting in four or five yard gains. When I'm pretty sure that if it was the other guys that aren't that are not suited up for them right now, they would be much more explosive plays. And 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 yes. we'll 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 go play by play through Iowa State and and and, and dot those for you. Oh, do you want to do that? Because that, that's gonna make for a real long pod, but nah, we can I do it. We don't, uh, not play by play, but because that's the thing. I mean the the very first instance of this, because I I do want to give specific examples because if anyone's listening to this show and they hear us saying these things about these two college running backs, but we don't provide examples of what we're seeing, that's not very fair. And maybe if we say what we're saying, like we say what we're seeing, 
maybe somebody that's smarter than us could reach out and say, hey, actually, no, you're wrong about that. Here's what's really going on. And that's fine. I am open to be persuaded because I will readily admit I am not an expert on offensive line blocking schemes. But at the same time, this is college football. It's not that complicated. It really isn't. So from the very beginning. <laughs> you, might, you might make a lot of enemies saying that. Why? I mean, I think like blocking schemes are pretty complicated. It's not, it's not that easy. But not, oh, but not usually in college. It's pretty complicated. Uh, but for right off the bat, you guys will probably remember on third and goal, very first drive of the game, they give the ball inside or they give the ball to, to, to McGowan. He goes against the grain of where the play is being blocked. The play is being blocked to the right. He doesn't go behind his offensive lineman. He thinks he sees a bit of a, uh, some daylight against the grain. He cuts it back and runs right into the edge players on the backside, and he's stonewalled. I, I think his plan wasn't terrible in that instance, but instead of trying to hit, hit the, like, the corner and try to get to the edge and outrun people to the pylon, which is what he should have done because it was just the corner and then a linebacker inside the corner, that, that should have been a one-on-one, hey, you versus the corner, outrun him to the pylon. He didn't try to do that. He tried to cut it inside because the corner was the edge guy, and he forced him inside, and he ran right into help, and he, he got ran, stonewalled. Yeah. He, he ran into the only two guys in the play that OU wasn't accounting for. Yes. And so, that so that's play the is first like, one. Actually, on that one, I, I, I wrote a note, Lee. I said, because I, I wasn't sure, because the way that McGowan, like, he, he really hit, like, he, he really went into those guys really hard. So it's like, was there a miscommunication there? I actually wrote that play was on whoever called it, um, because like I, and, unless it really was McGowan, unless he just completely did not go behind his blocks, because they, because because Iowa State was outnumbering OU heavily in the box, and so like I was just I was kind of confused as to what they were trying to do there. Well, there's such thing as running plays that are called that are designed cutback runs where you have all the linemen block one way, but then it's the idea is to get the entire defense shifting that way. And then you have a cutback designed with the running back. That it couldn't have been that play because he hit I, like McGowan hit like lowered his shoulder and went into those two guys. Like it was the hole. That's why I was kind of confused. See, and I think it was just a quick, he saw the play going and I think he saw a split second of daylight in that spot and he's right the other goal line is one yard away. He's like, I'm going to score. Whereas he should have, if he's going to take that route and go to the edge, he should have thought, I got to outrun this corner or follow my blocks who are going and just see all the white jerseys and go behind them. And so that's, that's the first one. And honestly, that was like the least egregious one of the day, <laughs> I think, for, from Seth McGowan's perspective. Because you, know, like you, you brought up questions. Maybe, maybe it wasn't necessarily all on him. And, and then they kicked the field goal on fourth and goal from the one, which was well. Let's go back to. to I want to go back to the one that I mentioned to you. Um, it was on. It was on first and goal on that very first drive. Uh, TJ Pleasure on from the six yard line. Um, I think it was on the, on GT counter, but it, it could have been on another uh, another thing else. But the hole that he had had to go through, you could have driven a truck through, and he didn't score. He he was touched for the first time at the two yard line, and he went down at the one. And like it, yeah, he was one on one with a guy in the open field, and he didn't score. Yep, with a full that's, head of steam. My... And like yeah. maybe that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can't expect TJ Pleasure to score there. He's five nine, you know, one seventy. But yeah, that's why you don't want TJ Pleasure in those situations. That that's he's all that they have in that situation, obviously. But like. 
you that's got a perfect a score example there. of what I was saying is that you get what's blocked for you, and then the the extra, the elite guys, the really good guys, will get more than that. They will make one person miss. One person can't tackle them, and that was a perfect situation where Pledger was blocked up nice for him. He had a lot of room to run, but that safety coming down hard into the hole, he couldn't make that guy miss. He he tried to kind of like leap over him a little bit, and that tripped him up enough that he fell. And, and kind of somersaulted towards the one yard line. But yeah, and so like you got to you got to be able to make that guy miss and score. And I brought you it up to. as in because I, I you know I'm, you're going to hear me say Ramondre Stevenson a lot uh, in this because I, I and and you think I'm a little over my skis on this, but I think he's really good. I think he's a special player. Uh, I think he's I think he's the best non QB on this offense in all likelihood. I, I don't he. Obviously I like, scores on I like when the ball's in his hands. He yes, obviously I, I scores. I think he probably would play. score. But I think uh, Kennedy Brooks scores. I think I think Trey Sermon scores. Trey Sermon definitely scores too. So, yeah, it's just uh, it's. Those are just two like, examples. As as we go on, we're going to give more because there's more. There's actually some. But that's oh, but like that play snap- is important because if TJ Pleasure scores there. There's, you know, that's a touchdown, and then you're never put in the position of Lincoln Riley making the terrible decision to kick a field goal on fourth down and, you know, fourth and goal from the one. I hated that decision so much. I did there, too. That's that's did one too. thing that I'm not going to be sanguine on. That was a terrible coaching decision. And it goes against what Wave Riley's the white been about. Flag on the very like first Riley's drive been, of the he's game, been super set aggressive. the tone he's for the rest s- of your team. Terrible. And again. He hasn't been that conservative. That was very surprising. It to me, it was it. It told me one thing. He's either he was not sure about his offensive line, which all of the uh, everyone against us that would say obviously he's he's not confident in the offensive line. Which maybe they have an argument. He was not sure about his running backs getting a carry there and scoring, and he was not confident that if he put the ball in Spencer's hands, that maybe Spencer wouldn't turn it over in the end zone and throw a pick or something. He, so maybe he wasn't confident in his own, his own play calling. Whereas later in the game, he called the same exact, I was going to say, your favorite play ever, Grant, at least from like 2010, play action to the fullback. He called it twice to success to Jeremiah Hall for touchdowns. What if he would have had play action to the fullback there on fourth and goal from the one? Would have been too obvious? Maybe. Maybe it would have been too obvious at that point. Uh, but that's how Jeremiah Howell scored his, his two touchdowns. Play action to the fullback. I don't know. Like I and I, I don't want to get into like what is the what's the mental makeup or mind frame of Lincoln Riley in that scenario. Maybe he is thinking, oh, I don't have conf- confidence in this unit or this unit or whatever. I think it's more along the lines of we just came off of a really tough gut wrenching game and we have to get points here on the first drive. That's probably that what he be was it. thinking. Because that you, could be like, it. Be- but maybe I'm, I'm basing it off maybe- of the history of Lincoln Riley because he's been very aggressive. Because if you remember, down. though, on their on their next drive down there in the red zone on fourth and one, they had to call a timeout because because presumably, at least this is what the the sideline reporter was saying, Spencer Rattler in the offense was was campaigning to him to go for it on fourth and one, and he finally relented and said yes, and they got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I hate that I hate that so much. It is coaching scared. Like there, there's one thing. That's one thing I will never give Lincoln Riley a pass on ever. That was coaching scared. That's the wrong call 100 percent of the time. Well, it's just disappointing because again, I've said it four times already or whatever. He that's not been his mo. I mean, he's been aggressive, especially early in the game with his offense. So it was just surprising to me, and that's why 
to me, it's like the coaches tell you what they think by the, the decisions they make, in my opinion. And it was it was something with either his his confidence in himself calling plays, his confidence in his offensive line, his confidence in his running backs, or his confidence in Spencer. I think he's super confident in Spencer. I, I think he's been telling us that with his play calls the last two games. So maybe it wasn't a Spencer thing. So I, you disagree. It could be something else. And that's true. It could be. I just think that's it's worth it's a it's a talk show podcast debate of, you know, that's what we do in sports. But yeah, I agree. I, it was that, that's why to me, it's so disappointing is because we have not seen that. I mean, what's the worst that can happen. They get stopped at the one, then they make exactly. Iowa State go 99 yards. You it's put, the first like, quarter. That's why it's kind of a win-win. It's in yeah. the big 12, man, kicking a field goal is a loss. It's a failed drive. And so like, that was kind of a theme. They left points on the board on Saturday night. And Especially on the road, yeah. man. You gotta go for that on the road. Ugh. like that's that. See, that's consistent. Like you say that I, I Lincoln Riley has made decisions like that consistently in his tenure as head coach. Yeah, like like coaching scared, playing not to lose, uh, and that's. I mean, a lot of the times oh. that's why they blow the big leads. Um, I don't think that's really been the case this season, but yeah. I, if there's if if there's one thing that I'm just like. It's always a terrible idea to, to kick a field goal from the one-yard line. Always. <laughs> All right, let's see. As we go along, we'll provide more examples of what we're seeing in the running game. Uh, how about the – I don't know if we should go through the entire game because that would be a long podcast. So, And it's already going to be long anyways because we have Texas to talk about. These topics in the rundown, should we – how should we do this? You know what? We Maybe a- we should just. Uh, I'm trying to think. So here, here's my idea. Like I, I thought, I thought the front seven generally played pretty well in the game. Um, at times, I thought they were like really good. Um, the linebackers, I thought, were really good at being in position, but they had a terrible game tackling, like a terrible game tackling. Um, you and I disagree on this. I, I, I thought, I thought the defensive front the defensive line was whipping Iowa state all night long. Um, you, you disagree with that. I'm, I just disagree on the adjective you're using. I think the, the defensive line played, played well, played fine. I wouldn't say they whipped up on them. Like I'm not, night. I'm not saying that to say that like, Oh, OU's defensive line is really great. They were whipping Iowa state. They're really awesome. Iowa state was getting freaking dominated by Louisiana Lafayette up front. So like I'm not I'm that's all I'm saying. It's 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 more of a commentary on how bad Iowa State's offensive line is and that OU lost to them. See, I just I, I have a I have a tough time with that because we both admit that we're not experts when it comes to watching the offensive line. And so when I'm watching back these games, like I there's not one moment in that game where I was thinking like, man, the, the OU defensive line is just whipping up on these guys right now. It was just they they were they were doing their job for the most part, and it was fine. They won I, a lot of one-on-one battles, is what I'm saying. They won I mean, a they lot. They did a good job stopping the run for the most part. With Nick the Benito, of, whoever was in front of that guy the entire night, got a really good workout. Nick Benito was whipping that guy all night long. Hmm. So yeah, I I didn't see Benito really. I saw him like running upfield, kind of like Wyatt Hubert. And, now once and slipping, once Benito and, and not, actually was in a position to make a play, he was he was woefully incompetent. On Saturday night, he wasn't really doing his job there. The amount of see, times I, that he I, had Brees Hall wrapped up in the backfield, I don't even want to count him. Well, there was that one I where uh, 
late in the game, I think it's second half, where Deshaun White comes off the edge, reads run, off-tackle run, and Deshaun White just – he lets Brees Hall juke him in the backfield, and then I think Benito comes in to try to clean it up, and he gets spun out of his shoes. And then instead of having a, a, a four- or five-yard loss, Brees Hall goes for, I think, 12, 12 yards in a first down. For 12, yeah. And I, I know that maybe the footing was bad. People were slipping all night, but – I mean, Oklahoma seemed to be slipping a lot more than, than Iowa State people were slipping. Yeah, that was another thing that I kind of want that um, I noticed in the first half that I thought maybe they fixed in, in the locker room at halftime. OU was definitely having having trouble with their footing, like a lot. There was guys slipping all over the place. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, not yeah. I mean, use I don't use as an excuse or whatever, but that's I mean, that was definitely happening or happening. They needed to change their cleats for sure. Um, but that. Like I, I didn't see slipping was not the main problem in trying to and trying to tackle Brees Hall. They just couldn't tackle Brees Hall, and so mm-hmm. you know I give give Brees Hall some credit for that to a, to a certain extent. But yes. when he is slipping out of multiple tackle tacklers in the backfield, come on, uh, guys, Ugh. that's where it's bad. Mm-hmm. The execution and the tackling was bad. Leah, I want you to go back and watch that game, Brees Hall very rarely had any running room whatsoever in that game. Basically, everything that Brees Hall did, he did by himself in that game and by OU missing tackles. They had him behind the line of scrimmage a lot in that game, and they just missed tackles. Go back and watch it. Uh, what's a lot? I mean, at I'd least, say they had him... At I had, least I, half of his carries. No. Yeah. He had 29 he had, yards in the first half. He had 28 carries. So you're saying that 17 or 14 of those? He, yeah, that he might be a little hyperbolic. He had, but he no, had, I'd, I'd, I'd say maybe five times they, were, they got to him in the backfield. Maybe five. And not once did they bring him down. Well, he had, he had 29 yards in the first half, and I guarantee you every single one of those yards was after contact. Every single one of them. Yeah, I know. I mean, Oklahoma Oklahoma's pretty good at stopping the run right now, but I think what we're what we're seeing is that the speed D it it can stop the run, but I think they're selling out against the run a lot of times, which leaves them open to big plays in the back end. The the safeties are coming up specifically DTY a lot of the times to fill in the box, which which leaves Pat Fields either by himself back there or nobody back there a lot of times, and I think that's also a big a reason why we're seeing these big plays and and this is not just Oklahoma. I, I tweeted this out on Wednesday. I went back and looked at the first three games of Washington State, which was the second in, in 2016, which was the second year Grinch was the D.C. there. So, okay, second year. And they played Eastern Washington, FCS, which a very good FCS team. They like are national title contenders every year. Boise State, who has a good reputation, and Idaho. So Idaho is kind of like Missouri State, probably, in this example, because Idaho is a, a D1 team, but they're not very good. And they blasted Idaho. They beat them like 58-6. to six. But they lost to Eastern Washington, and they lost to Boise State. And it, it's kind of stunning, this, the stats between that Washington State defense and this OU defense when it comes to that Washington State team gave up a lot of yards through the air. They were giving up 320 yards in the air. Now this OU team is giving up 230, but you take out the uh, Missouri State game, they're giving up 310 yards in the air per game. Missouri State's kind of like an outlier. I mean, you give you take out the uh, Idaho game. I'm sure uh, that Lee, team was giving up 350 yards. I we're one year removed from them being 
statistically one of the best pass defenses in college football. I don't. I, I like, mean, I don't. Then I, don't I guess know, statistics don't. I don't know how 2016 I, Washington State matters at all for this team. Well, just in terms of the second year of somebody, you expect the team to, to look better. And through three games, I mean, the record being the same is a coincidence. But well, I mean, but I mean, that was that was Grinch's second season. Washington State yes. was a lot better his second season, which means they got better that year. Wait, no, his second well, year I mean, was 2017. That was his no, first it was 20, year. No, it was 2016. He was there 2015, 16, 17. He was at Ohio years? State in 18. I guess, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah. like, I don't... But you I go guess I don't, schedule, I don't understand see, the logic of completely forgetting the, the radical improvement that there was last season in OU's defense. That just doesn't matter anymore? You just toss that well, out? I, it, it's a, important they improve, but here is the problem, Grant. At the end of last season, they were giving up explosive pass plays to bad quarterbacks and bad, bad teams. And then it was even worse against a good quarterback and a good team and LSU. And we're seeing the exact same thing so far with, I'm sorry, Skylar Thompson's not supposed to be a guy Skylar that Thompson drops dimes sucks. on you. You don't, you, I, Brock I will Purdy's not better, he sucks. but also, but also Brock Purdy wants to give you the ball a lot. He wants to, he wants to hand it to you. He wants to, and he, and he should have had multiple turnovers, but he didn't because the Oklahoma defensive backs, specifically Pat Fields, he had two, interceptions I, I counted as three because one of them he knocked down because he was so afraid to try to intercept it because he had dropped the last two he was like you know what this is me just my opinion I'm sorry Pat Fields but I, I played not well not, my experience doesn't matter because I never played college football like he does but to me it looked like I, I gotta knock this down I gotta make sure there's not a play and he did he knocked it down he got a PBU but I think other defensive backs would have probably gone up with two hands to try to knock to pick that ball off and then the last one was when Brendan Radley Hiles, it was basically a punt in the middle of the field, and he tried to high point it, and he couldn't catch it. So uh, the defensive backfields, I guess, giving up these explosive plays. So even though there was a lot of improvement last year, towards the end of the year, they were giving up these big plays. And that's my point is that that's going back to, 26, uh, to 2016 Washington State, that team gave up a lot of big plays too and in the passing game, but also was good against the run. Like, this team looks to be pretty good against the run. But that team also threw three games, forced six turnovers. This team threw three games is only forced two. And the, the aggressive, high-risk, high-reward style that Alex Grinch is playing, it works great when you're getting turnovers. But we're not getting turnovers. Then you're giving up extra plays, you're giving up freebies, and you're allowing teams to score on you. So, I, Yeah, I guess I don't... I just I don't put any stock into really anything that happened at Washington State as of right now. It's a totally different team, totally different personnel. Okay. Like and like to be totally honest with you, man, that Washington State team probably had a corner and a safety that are better than Trey Brown and Patrick Fields right now. In fact, most teams probably do, and I know that's mean, but it's kind of where we are right now. Okay. Well, I, I want to be specific here because I want to. Again, I think specifics are incredibly important. And the fact that I... Let's well, see if I don't I, okay. need to be specific to let... To, to, I mean, everyone knows just by watching the game that Pat Fields was the worst player on the field on, on Saturday night. Everyone knows that just by watching the freaking game. I think a lot of people would, would probably disagree with you and, and say that a different person was the worst player on the field. There's a lot of bad players on the field. I don't know how you can watch that defense and not think Fields wasn't the worst player on that field. Man. 
he he left a lot of plays on the field, and that's and he he said it after the game, and uh, he knows that he he should have made more plays. He's he's your captain. Uh, the 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 biggest problem for Trey Brown on Saturday was the third down and ten late in the game when OU was leading by a touchdown, and Trey Brown is holding his man during the play away from the play it looked like they were playing zone coverage he looked like he got turned around and lost and he started grabbing and holding flag comes out purdy gets rushed i think benito was on his tail purdy drops the ball fumbles recovers it looks like it should be a three and out but then that penalty because trey brown looked like he was lost he got turned around i don't know why he got turned around it didn't look to me like they were playing man it looked to me like they were playing a zone coverage which keep everything in front of you man you shouldn't get turned around you shouldn't have to to try to bail yourself out by grabbing and pulling he does he gets the flag called on him free first down and it's just bad it's just bad technique and that was essentially like a turnover because Oklahoma was going to get the ball punted to them instead it was a free first down and the very next play was the long 65 yard touchdown pass that gave Iowa State a 23 to 20 lead and when I go back to that play by Trey Brown, who's your, one of your veteran guys. And Alex Grinch talked on Wednesday and said that, yeah, it's, it's really disappointing and frustrating to see those veteran guys you know, make plays like that. To me, it's, it's either the guy doesn't have any confidence in himself and his technique, which I don't know why you wouldn't if you're Trey Brown. You've been here for a long time, man. You've, you've, you can do it. Or he's being taught a bunch of bad techniques, which includes pulling and grabbing and tugging instead of just using your feet using your football instincts cover those receivers and I think that's why you're seeing all these penalties so that that was the big kind of black mark on on Trey I can't think of really any others off the top of my head but um, unfortunately Brendan Radley Hiles also had some had some tough plays as well and yeah, Buki had a really bad game. Pretty much ever, ever, there is not a single defensive back who did not have a bad game. They were all pretty bad. Um, yeah, I, like I, I don't know. Like I, I guess I don't. Now that we're doing this, I don't really want to go all in on. Everyone knows the secondary is bad. Everyone knows they need to get better. Everyone is disappointed that they're really experienced and they've seemed to regressed. What What else can you say? Like I don't. I. I can't go into their football offices and see what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. I can't see how Alex Grinch is coaching these guys. Is it completely within bounds uh, to say, hey, like, you know, what, what the heck, man? Alex, you're the safeties coach. Why is that the worst position group on the team? That's 100% fair. I just, like, I look at it in the context of, of a down season. A lot of stuff goes wrong. I'm old enough to remember that 2014 season. Lee, you weren't you weren't really around. That season was a freaking dumpster fire. That was a year that was a year after they had just beaten Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Everyone thought Trevor Knight was going to come in and be great. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was just Trevor Knight. The offensive line that season was good. That was the season that they ran for just buckets and buckets of yards behind Samaj Pirine. Mhm. Just it just wasn't that team just didn't have it. It just didn't have the mental makeup. That team consistently would just would just falter, would crumble in big situations. And I think this team has is a pretty similar makeup right now. 
That's what they look like. The only thing that's really not why I'm not really panicked about it is because the next season they went to the college football playoff. A lot with the same dudes. Right. Yeah. So, I, like, not... I mean, it's just, it's a lot of stuff is going wrong right now. This football team has had to deal with a lot. And I don't want to excuse make. I understand everyone has to deal with COVID. That's fine. That's great. Whatever. We're looking at See, this team in I a can... vacuum right now. We're looking at this team in a vacuum. They've had to deal with a lot. I'm I'm okay with giving a little leeway. I'm not I'm not happy they're one and two. I don't want them to be one and two. I wish they were three and zero. Oh. But like I, if they have to have a season like this in order to have four or five in a row of being national title contenders, I'll make that trade any freaking day, man. And sometimes you got to go through a season like this. The year before Georgia went to the college football playoff and beat OU in the Rose Bowl, they went 6-6 six and six and lost to TCU like in, in some 6-6 six and six bowl game. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Like, it's just, it's, have a little perspective. I understand that there are things that we've seen for a long time now that could continue to be problems even after uh, this, this regime is gone, after this, you know, the, the Mike Stoops, the Tim Kish, the Kerry Cooks recruits are gone. I, I, I get that. I understand that. There's still a process. Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State, what they're doing is not normal. It's not even normal in the history of college football. This is, a, is, is, is much more normal. Five consecutive seasons of winning 12-plus games, and then you have a season where everything goes wrong. That's just much more normal. So I, I'm, not, I'm not panicked. I'm frustrated in, 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 in what I have to watch every Saturday it's looking like now. And this like they're going to take their licks, guys. They're going to lose four or five games this season. They are. Based on what, though? Here's the thing. Like, I, they have all the talent in the world to where they, they, they probably should either win out or maybe lose one more game. That's the okay. thing. I, well, because actually, cause yeah, not, me... not a lot of things are really going wrong. And that's I think that's the difference. It's like my frustration lies from and I'm, I'm trying to, I, I think we're on the same page in a lot of things, but I'm, I'm trying to explain it in a way where it's like the offense is still really, 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 really good. It is. And the defense in the fourth quarter, the last couple of games, and I want to talk, I want to be specific because Alex Grinch talked about this. He said that if we win the fourth quarter, the last two weeks, we win the game. They've given up 31 points in the fourth quarter, the last couple of weeks. If that changes by a small amount, just a small amount, we feel a lot different now uh, we tell players, you know, like we'd still be telling the players that it's unacceptable, the mistakes they've been making. But he kind of inferred, and I talked about this earlier, he inferred that, of course, though, they'd feel differently because the win-loss record probably would be different. And so my thing is that when you're able to put so many good, positive plays defensively on the field in the last two weeks, it's really frustrating to me when only a handful or six or seven plays lose you the game. And to me, it's a lot easier for a defense to not give up a 70-yard play when you're up by three touchdowns, a 70-yard play when you're up by two touchdowns, um, a 65-yard touchdown that should never happen because you should, have been, you should have been off the field because a holding call happened on one of your guys the previous play. It's a lot easier for the defense to fix those mistakes and have that not happen than it is for the offense who's been playing well the entire game for the most part, at least against Kansas State not as much against Iowa State, but it's a much better defense in Iowa State, then to all of a sudden, hey, the defense is, is putting you guys in a tough spot, go out there and, and win. And, when, and, and when, the, when the defense did give them a play, 
got a turnover. The offense took the ball down and scored. It was great. And then, of course, special teams. Once the last two games, special teams let him down with a block punt and then a long kickoff return. And so I, I, I'm trying, like, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it, but the, the reason why it's like this team actually is, like you said, I think you're exactly right. When Lincoln Riley says this team is close, he's not lying. They're not close to a national championship contender, but they are very close to being 3-0. and I mean, they should be 3-0 and and definitely the best team in the Big 12. They are close to that, but it's just these, these stupid, stupid avoidable mistakes. In my opinion, mostly by the defense, not that the offense is, is without its faults late in games whenever the pressure's on them, but I think the, it's, it's most on the defense because this is stuff that should, should not happen against against a Kansas State and against a Brock Purdy who I think is, is good but also wants to give you the football. And, you know, hey, I, I, um, we're, we're not even that far removed from, from an OU team being 1-2. and two. They were 1-2 and two in 2016. Yeah. And I know they lost to Houston and Ohio State in those games. Um, that, hey, that Houston team, definitely probably the same quality of, of that Iowa State team that they just lost to. That Houston team may have even been been worse than that Iowa State team that they just lost to. Um, I I remember being pretty panicked about that year, and then they just reeled off ten wins in a row like it was nothing. Um, I'm not saying you know they don't have Baker Mayfield, they don't have Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews and D.D. Westbrook. So I you know I'm not going to say that's going to happen, but the precedent is there. It could happen. They have they they have guys on campus who are who are capable. Uh, but I've just, it's such a weird season and, you know, I, I guess, yeah, maybe I'm just trying to talk myself into it because I, I, because maybe I'm just so disappointed that they lost. I'm just trying to talk myself into looking into it as positively as I possibly can. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm just not as chafed, fine. chafed by this. I'm just, I'm just not, I, I think they're going through growing pains. And while I totally grant to people that, the secondary being so bad and so experienced is really frustrating. Like that is is completely, completely legitimate. See, and another reason why I brought up the the past plays, the past stats. I I think we're I'm trying to get a context and learning more about this Alex Grinch defense, the style, the speed D, and. You look at the stuff at Washington State. You look at the, the point totals they allowed to certain teams. I mean, they'd give up, you know, 30, 35 points a game to teams that are like, eh, it's a Pac-12, but they'd, they'd outscore them. Washington State would outscore them and win. I mean, they think they went like 8-5 and five in 2016. So I think we're learning again that this is, again, it's a high-risk, high-reward defense that puts a lot of pressure on your defensive backs, that they're going to play a lot of man coverage without a lot of safety help, and if you don't have good quality elite players at those positions, you're going to get beat by these big plays. Maybe you're going to be good at stopping the run because your safeties are coming out downhill, selling out against the run, which leaves you more exposed on the back end. And I'm starting to wonder if Oklahoma does not have elite along. And I know Alex Grinch has already recruited a lot of long cornerbacks and safeties, which is good. But if they don't get elite, really good players and don't, develop them to make them even better this defensive uh, scheme this, this strategy is not going to work it's not going to work even when Oklahoma gets even better on offense and I think Oklahoma is again really good on offense still so and it's very early there's plenty there's more time I'm I'm not saying like again nobody says the 
nobody says to fire Alex Grinch. That's dumb. I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, just keep in mind that past his past defenses have told us and showed us what they are. And if the if the turnovers don't come like they did at Washington State, it it magnifies even more the positions that this defense is putting people in to give up big plays. It's tough. You got to be really good. And they're putting players like Buki and Trey Brown and, and Pat Fields and, and stuff in positions where they're, they're being asked to play one-on-one with a lot of space around them. And a lot of the times these guys can't do it. Will the players they bring in be able to do that in the future? I hope so. If they're going to keep playing this style of defense, if they can't, we're going to get, keep getting this same thing over and over and over again. And so that's kind of what I've, I'm starting to kind of see evidence-wise dating back to the end of last season whenever bad quarterbacks can expose you on the back end. Yeah, you wouldn't be the very first person who has, you know, who has cautioned that defensive philosophy. The Big 12 has, you know, has chewed up and spit out a great many of defensive coordinators who have come in here trying to blitz their problems away. Um, you know, Interesting. I, and, Interesting. And, and 2018, we were saying that when the defense was so bad, we were saying, just bring everybody. Who cares? They're so bad. You might as well just try to create some negative yep. plays every, and like that's totally different. Um, but yeah, like it's, but also, man, I, I I can't get away from the improvement there was last season. Um, there was a lot yeah. of improvement last season, a ton, and but a lot um, of it was in the first. It was in the first seven eight games. It's there was a there was a big time regression towards the end of the season when they were giving up a bunch of points to TCU. Uh, they're giving up a point. I mean, again, I like I like Brock Purdy, but I think they were in control of that Iowa State game. Oh yeah, they were up uh, by they were up by uh, three touchdowns, like a majority of that game. Okay, and so and that reminds me because I have some like other topics defensively, and I I don't know what the answer to these these are. I think it's just they're they're questions. A lot of this is happening late in the game after halftime. Uh, an easy thing to think of. I know a lot of people talk about conditioning. And are these guys tired? Like to me, like that is really difficult to see. How can you tell if someone's tired or like, I, I think that's almost like a cop out take by a lot of people. Like, Oh, they is the offensive line too tired. Like these guys are like, there's so many commercial breaks in these games. They're resting all the time. Dude, the, I, defense, I just don't, the defense was only on the field for nine drives. If, if they were tired, that's not an excuse. It's terrible. See, excuse. Iowa state, Iowa state had only 56 plays in that game. That's Iowa it. State had the ball four times in the first half and five times in the second half. So, okay, so I, I just, I don't buy like conditioning or fitness being an issue. I just, I don't think it is. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't. So, so then, okay, and you, you may disagree. That's fine. Uh, I, I'm talking to our listeners. Talking to our maybe, listeners. Maybe on the last drive where it was, I, where Brees Hall just sort of ran through them on two consecutive yeah. plays. But that looked a but lot more beating, like a, a mental defeated attitude right. than than them just being mm-hmm. dog tired. Like it was, and also they, they, just, they weren't on the field that they weren't on the field that long in the game. So then my my next thing is, if this is all happening in the fourth quarter or later in games, and they're playing so well at the beginning, is this some sort of in game adjustments that Oklahoma is being out coached or out schemed during the game? Is Alex Grinch showing his hand a lot? And offensive coordinators are changing it or doing something differently. And this is something that I don't know. I'm just asking. I don't like because there's a theme. We're seeing consistent problems later in games after halftime. I mean, Oklahoma's defense held Iowa State to field goals in the first half. 
and played pretty good in that game like I don't I don't recall any of the big plays being like oh yeah that was just a nicely executed well drawn up play they were all on busts and mistakes I mean maybe the double pass yeah that was maybe the double pretty pass, well done but um, like I that thought was, I, it might have been I think Jaden Davis or no no Woody Washington, was Woody actually, Washington he was the corner he actually did a pretty decent job recognizing yeah. that and going because the because the safeties came down and bit on the first pass and, and he because Woody Washington I don't think had the deep part of that field. So, uh, so maybe that play, um, like I thought the, their long, the touchdown pass, the 65 yarder to Hutchinson, that was good execution by Iowa state. You know, I, yeah. So what happened on that play was again, it was right after Oklahoma gave him a free first down. It was a RPO. Oklahoma looked like they were playing two man. So they had two deep safeties and both safeties, DTY and Pat fields bit up on that RPO action on Brees Hall, And it left the middle of the field wide open. And so that ended up being Jaden Davis one-on-one, with Hutchinson and slants are really tough to defend if the ball is put at the perfect spot and that's exactly what happened and yeah you hope the guy is able to to grab on and make a play and tackle but when the ball is put on a perfect spot and the guy's at full speed that's a tough play to, to make as a defensive back and I thought Jaden Davis was invisible for most of the game in a good way because he is not being exposed but unfortunately he was the guy playing defense on that one that ended up going for 65. So yeah, not nobody got out of that game without any issues, you could say. So I I, I don't know I, I don't know what is going on, and I don't think Alex Grinch seems to know. I'm I'm trying to go over look at what he said. You got to play better. You, you you need they need better players, and they need to make a tackle when they can't like. And you got to do your job. It's he there, said that there, there are there major issues. I like I will grant people that they were there. There are obvious issues with the defense that need to be corrected. It's just like. That's the case in every single football season. There are issues that need to be corrected. I, and Alex Grinch on Wednesday continues to say it's on me, taking the blame, yeah. because I guess, he, keeps te- he keeps telling the guys the same things over and over again, and things are still getting messed up. Uh, I, I will say, I, I do want to say, as it comes, it comes to tackling, sorry, like, when it comes to tackling, he was asked about that, not surprisingly. He said, yeah, you're seeing experienced players missing tackles against Iowa State. But he said, I thought we tackled pretty well versus Kansas State. So it, it absolutely, we can fix it. It can be fixed because I've seen them do it over an extended period of time. He said, when you tackle, you got to have an anxiousness about you at the point of attack. But you also got to make sure that you stick to technique and fundamentals and make sure that you come up with a body part and wrap up. Like I, I so do want to say Trinch outside of there are two very specific plays where Buki just completely whiffed. Uh, on little on little short little five yard like outs and 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 uh, hitches, in which he allowed like a forty yard gain after just whiffing on a tackle. But other than that, I legitimately think all of the other missed tackles were le- were literally on Brees Hall. That that was it. It was just Brees Hall. Maybe. Man, I wish he was OU's running back. <laughs> They'd be three and zero right now if he was. All right, where are we? We've uh, bounced around. You know what? I do want to, to be fair to the defense because I said that a lot of it is mostly on the defense, and I think it's easier for the defense to prevent these big plays late in games than it is for the offense to be asked to, you know, when they've been playing for the most part pretty well, but we're, we're still asking the offense to be perfect and great and it's great. I will say, though, it was disappointing to see Oklahoma's offense leave points on the field when Obi Obiolo dropped that touchdown pass late in the game when Spencer put it right on the money on the back shoulder and Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-Obi-
He dropped it. I mean, that's uh, Gabe Burkich kicked a field goal there. But again, that's points left on the field. And not to mention one of the biggest plays in the game that everyone saw was Rattler's great throw to Theo Weiss that went right through his hands. And I've been really nice on this podcast a lot of the time, trying to make excuses and explain. I mean, and I'll do the same thing for this. So the, the rain's coming down. It's windy. It's you got, you got raindrops in your eyes. You're running and stuff, and you're looking up. That's not an easy catch. But at the same time, you're a five-star receiver, and your quarterback put it exactly in the, so, the spot that you need it to be for you to catch it. You got to catch that ball. And he knows that. He's not dumb. I'm sure Theo Weiss would say, yeah, I got to catch that ball. It's just it's, it's a shame because I was third down, and Oklahoma – I think that it's might a have shame. been it was third down, and it was goal. also an unbelievable play by Spencer Rattler. Yes, you gotta you you gotta complete that play for your quarterback. Like, I mean, do we ugh. need to talk about? I, I I don't I don't I didn't understand the people after the Kansas State game that were like on the fence with Spencer Rattler or or critical because yeah, I mean he had some a couple bad throws, some interceptions, but for the most part he was really good against Kansas State. I don't understand wh- like why he got like critic like his pocket presence in Kansas. I didn't. He held the ball a little too long on maybe a couple plays late in that game, but he was really good against Kansas State, and he was really good against Iowa State. Aside from a couple of throws, uh, I I I don't know. He is the least of Oklahoma's problems right now. I was gonna say yeah. Field. We we just went we just went through a game where just tons of praise are being heaped onto Brock Purdy, and he was freaking terrible in that game. And and people are kind of criticizing Spencer Rattler, and he was amazing in that game. It's it's kind it's kind of funny how the how the win loss sort of well and <laughs> determines and when that. you end when you end both games with an interception, people are gonna are gonna remember that last play. Like Brock Purdy was legitimately out. awful on Saturday night. Like had a really terrible game. If if OU's he defensive didn't. backs were could catch, he would you're he would have thrown four picks. And yeah, yeah, I'm starting trying to, to get uh, away. And, and I'm, I don't want to get too. Uh, this will be the last thing I say on Brock Purdy. Uh, this is the most Purdy that I've watched. Probably, like I, I honestly haven't caught a ton of Iowa State games over the like outside of just kind of bits and pieces. Um, watched basically all of Brock Purdy's snaps this season. He's not very good. He's really good at getting away from pressure and sensing pressure, but like when he actually has to throw the ball in the air. He's not accurate, and he makes really terrible decisions. Yeah, he's not, he's not gotten any better since his freshman year. He was really good. And he's like, oh, this guy's a true freshman. He can only go up. He, is, he has not gotten any better. And he's a nice player, but he is not a guy that you would – like if you're an Iowa State fan, seeing him his freshman year, you got to be pretty disappointed with what he's turned into his third year because he hasn't – he's still incredibly turnover prone. I mean, he wants to give the ball away. I mean, I guess it's not surprising now, looking back to that TCU game, that he <laughs> that he made that crazy play. And he doesn't and he doesn't make enough good plays to offset it either. But I mean, that's like whatever. I, I we don't need to talk about Brock Purdy. Um, it's just it's annoying in the sense that Oklahoma was given so many chances to make plays and they didn't take them against a guy that wants to give you the ball. And that's the point I've been trying to make a million times. Um, how about some positive stuff, Grant? The H-backs. Austin Stogner has been fantastic. Guy's making catches in traffic. Uh, one of uh, maybe maybe Rattler's favorite target so far. And Jeremiah Hall has been really good. 
couple touchdowns. Yeah, I really hope. Uh, I, I mean, I have no idea what the status is on Braden Willis. Uh, hope hope he can play against Texas. I don't know. Um, not not any any chatter about him at all. So that's generally not very good news. I would I would typically expect. Um, I Jeremiah Hall and Austin Stogner need to be on the field at all times. They should not come off of the field. Um, we're, we're at that point. Very good players. Very, the, very good players. The receivers right now, as a, as a unit, are not good enough for Hall and Stogner to come off the field at all. And like I, I, those two guys are, are Spencer Rattler's best outlets right now, and they need to be on the field at all times. I'd so like to see I, Marvin I, Mims being, being given more opportunities to get the ball in space. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, let me... I'll, I guess I'll do my uh, my mea culpa on on Charleston Rambo. Um, clear, I, clearly, clearly, he's not who who I thought he was, and who I was, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was pumping up like that. Clearly not. I think the usage of him has been downright disrespectful to him. Uh, just not putting him in good positions at all. Um, he's not a guy, and I don't throw him bubble screens. He should not, he he should not be running any routes within five yards of the line of scrimmage. And also, he's a terrible kickoff return man. He needs to be removed from that team instantly and replaced by Mims. <laughs> I, I mean, he like, even had his uh, his his patented drag across the field play, and he got went for no yards because I was State read him, it perfectly. That wasn't on him. They I mean, that see that that's one of the areas where the offensive line is is not fully there yet. But that's that's that is a timing play. That requires lots of experience and time. I, I, yeah, that's on that play. That was that was on the offensive line, not on Rambo. Um, yeah, I'm just R- Rambo's a one trick pony. He he's a he, he's a throw 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 him a bomb every now and then guy. That's that's all he's really all he's really good for. Although I will, I'll give him credit for the for the fourth down conversion that he had on the last you know the last drive of the game. Yes, but, um, great catch, great hands, great catch, great catch. Um, but yeah, I, I I generally hate the way that he's being used. I like the way that they're using him right now, like with those bubble screens and and the drags. Like I, I think that's how Jaden Hazelwood is going to be used when he's back. Like Jaden Hazelwood mm-hmm. is going to be the CD Lamb type in the offense, and then I think Charleston Rambo can go back to doing what he does best, which is just run straight down the field and burn people. Uh, yeah, like I I mean I you know. That's what I thought that Rambo was going to be this year, and clearly they're trying to turn him into just like the number one option. That's that's not working. That that needs to be scrapped. And yeah, yeah. If, if there's any sort of guy that we're seeing right now who you need to get the ball in space, it's it's Mims. Who who I guess yeah he was pretty disappointingly quiet on Saturday night, unfortunately. Yeah, Rattler took a deep shot to him at one point that he he couldn't come down with it. Uh, pretty good coverage. Other than that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember, remember much of Marvin. Definitely a uh, ah, a grab bag today. The podcast we've been sort of just kind of going everywhere. Um, yeah, I just, I think that I. Here, here's what I'll say. I like because I, the positive stuff. Sure, like I mean, do you want to like? I have a ton of positive stuff written down here. A vast, like like I said. Most of the plays in the game, they won a majority of their one-on-one reps against Iowa State. Like, a, a vast majority of them. So, you can go play-by-play, play and you can pick out a lot of good stuff. It's just, it's... You're right. I guess it is kind of like the Kansas State game where it is. It's like, it's 
10 to 12 plays that decided the game. Well, there's a couple positive things. I just found in my notes, credit to uh, Seth McGowan, there was early in the game when it was 3-3, three to three, there was a fourth down and one when Oklahoma went for it, and uh, he was able to get four yards when nothing was there. So he was actually able to get pick up yardage when it wasn't blocked very well, and then the very next play was when Rattler scrambled in for the touchdown. Uh, I will say, mentioned Obiolo's drop earlier. You and I both agree that he should have been credited with a touchdown catch earlier in the game. It looked like he he got his toe down in bounds. It's, it's one foot in college, and then his heel came down out of bounds. But I've always thought that you get that toe down in bounds, that it it's over. The play's over. You, the exact same thing happened in Columbus with Jeff Bidette. He got that little toe down. You remember that catch that he had on the sideline? He got the toe down first, and then the heel followed, and they gave him the catch. I, I just... Maybe I'm over my skis on this one. I don't know. I'm just I'm stunned that they confirmed the call on the field. I I went back. I had the game recorded, so I was rewatching it in 1080p high definition. I am certain that his toe hit down before his heel did out of bounds. And if if I'm cer- if that did happen, that's a touchdown. I have no idea yeah. how they confirmed it. I don't get it. So if like is is am I totally missing something on that play? You know, we're on the same page. I I don't know. I don't I don't know. And there wasn't a whole lot of talk about it. Uh, but you know maybe we are. Maybe we're missing something. So I just wanted to get because that was a great play by Obiala by making that catch. And I again, it looked like he got that toe down in bounds. The like the toe hits very clearly in the green yes. before the heel hits out of bounds. Yes. I, I just, I have no clue what they saw there. Agree. Agree. Uh, and, you and it know, doesn't I, matter because they scored a touchdown anyway. So right. Let me, right. let me they, put that out there. But like, and, and you, like you, you and I kind of, we, we haven't gone on this on the podcast lately. I, I, I didn't think the officiating was great in that game. I thought OU was on the bad end of some pretty bad calls. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I not gonna use it. I'm not going to use it as an excuse for that's why they lost. But stuff like that, when I see that play being confirmed, like there's some incompetence going on there. You, you can't confirm that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, granted, it's, it's one call that stands out, but I, I'd, I'd have been pretty mad at, if I was an Iowa State fan that uh, Oklahoma, I mean, maybe by the letter of the law, it was the right call, but it, it was very ticky-tack to me when Rattler took that hit and they called targeting on that guy. And that was right after Rattler got sacked. And it was second down and 18. And that bailed out Oklahoma. That's going to get called 1,000% of the time. I mean, obviously, yeah, it did. It just, to me, it looked like the guy, like, it didn't look like it was anything. It looked like, yeah, I mean, oh, that five guy, years like, ago, really? that's, that's nothing. I thought, when I was watching that, I was like, oh, that guy's stupid. He's an idiot. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't. I mean, because didn't they just call targeting? Wasn't that the call? Or did they call roughing the passer? They called... Yeah, it was roughing the passer. They called roughing the passer. Yeah, I don't know. It was roughing the passer with targeting, and then they had to review it, and they confirmed it. They kicked the guy out of the game. Like, did you not... Like, did you see the behind angle? Like, the behind angle, it looked like he launched with his head, and he went right at Rattler's head. Huh. No, I mean, that was to, yeah. That was that was not a bad call. That was the correct call. I, I thought it was. It could, I don't know. To me, it looked like the guy was was uh, was uh, holding up. But I mean, he did he did 
drop his helmet down to where it looked like. So, and that's what got him. To me, it looked like he was kind of letting up. But no, I mean that. Yeah, so anyway, I don't know. I thought that was. I mean, it helped out Oklahoma for sure because they were second and eighteen and about to be third and eighteen. Um, the the best sequence in the game by by far for Oklahoma were you. We all were starting to think, okay, here we go. It's starting to turn, get things going. Was it wasn't looking great? I think it was after. Uh, let's, no, it was when Burkich hit the field goal. By the way, Gabe Burkich, fifty-one yard field goal to tie the game. I mean, rain coming down. I think the wind might have been blowing a little bit. Just cut right down the middle. Give Burkich a ton of credit for hitting that because he bailed his head coach out. You don't kick that ball. Let's see. I would have, I, I, yeah, I would have punted, but I, yeah, I mean, I'm stupid because maybe, yeah, Burkich would have made me look dumb, uh, but that's, like, I, that's ultimate. And okay. That was right after Weiss, the ball went through Weiss's hands on third down. Because if I, I guess, yeah, my, like my thought process is I've watched way too much college football in my life. OU misses that kick. The game is over. Iowa state 100% would have gone down and scored a touchdown and the game would have been over. Made it a two possession game. Yes. Yeah. I, that was in you know, credit to Gabe, Gabe Burkich, man. My goodness. I just like there is there is no bigger momentum shift in college football than someone missing a long field goal and then the other team getting good field position out of it. That's the biggest momentum shift in college football. So uh, Gabe Burkich ended up being a momentum shifter the other way because he drills that field goal. Oklahoma gets defense goes out there and Isaiah Thomas gets the sack fumble turnover Ellison Josh Ellison recovers finally they get the ball back and the offense takes advantage of it I mean the offense it was the best drive probably the entire game they were running the ball really well with both Pledger and McGowan they were hitting the holes they were getting what everything was blocked Stogner making a big catch over the middle getting down near the goal line and then an easy little play action to the fullback same play as before to Jeremiah Hall to get a, a a one touchdown lead that uh that drive after the Thomas um, strip sack was was surgical. It was it was pretty. It started with with two with uh, with back to back runs, one from Pledger and one from uh, one from McGowan, both on the GT counter. Holes were massive, perfectly blocked both times. Um, and then I think they got a total of like twenty five yards on those two plays, basically. Um, and then there was an RPO strike to Stogner inside the five. And the very next play was the play action to, to Jeremiah Hall. Just bing, bang, bong, four plays, over, done. I thought the game was over. I thought that was it. I thought, it was, I thought Isaiah Thomas finally made a play. Someone decided to make a play. And the way that OU responded, just by scoring four plays later without really any resistance at all, I thought that was it. I was, thought, I was like, okay, OU just made the deciding play in the game there. <laughs> and then, every, then no. What an absolute just clown show after that yeah and i think riley after the game said that, that he, you know, the, the kickoff return after that was was so huge and it was almost because it it made it the the turnover and the touchdown he's i think he said the words it, it felt like a wash yeah because he's right yeah and i'll so. um you you didn't really seem to uh maybe agree with this you didn't think they were that big of a deal um it's a hat tip to uh, to Keegan Reno on Twitter because um, he 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 tweeted this out, but there there were some there were two really blatant holds on that kickoff return and they did spring him, and so hey I I'm at the point now where it's like 
whatever. I, I like I'm sure I'm sure OU has gotten the benefit of the doubt on on calls like that in the past. I'm sure there's been tons of plays where I, I'm sure there's holding on basically every large kickoff return anyway. So it, it is what it is, whatever. Uh, but that it, it does just kind of adds more fuel to the fire. <laughs> um. All right. So where to go from here? I. That's. A, I mean, that's the game. I, I'm sure we're forgetting a lot of things to talk about. Does it? Does it feel like that we're? Uh, that OU Texas is in is in three days. We're playing. Uh, no, we're playing the Red River I mean, Shootout in three days. Typically, that's what we'd be really excited about. Um, I don't have like. Uh, yeah, we can. We're, I don't have any thoughts on guys. Texas looks exactly like they have the last ten years. That's what they are going into this game. That's basically how I think about. It. Uh, that's that's all. That's all I think about them. You know, I. I don't know how you can watch their first or their first two Big Twelve games and not come to the same conclusion. They're the same team that they've been under Tom Herman, that they were under Charlie Strong, that they were under the you know, the last bit of Mac of Mac Brown. It's the same program, same team. Here's what I got for you when it comes to the the Texas team, and I I, I watched a decent amount of that TCU game and a little bit of that Texas Tech game. I mean, offensively. I agree. It's it's the same Texas offense with Sam Ellinger. You got it's it's a simple offense. You got a lot of horizontal pass plays, a lot of bubble screens. You got a lot of slants. You got a lot of outs. Every once in a while, he'll take a shot deep. He scrambles well. He likes to run. They they run simple off tackle running plays to keep the defense honest. Basically, every single run looks like an RPO, uh, and and they 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 build run plays and pass plays off of each other to make them look the same to confuse the defense. Sam Ellinger is Sam Ellinger. He'll throw and complete a lot of short passes. His completion percentage will be very high because he throws a lot of bubble screens and short slants and outs. He'll take the occasional deep shot. He'll show some decent accuracy down the field at times. He'll keep you honest with the quarterback run game. Texas somehow is averaging seven yards per play so far this year, but that also includes the UTEP game, which they destroyed UTEP. You take away that game, they're averaging 5.8 yards per play, which is a lot more of what we've come to expect from Texas' offense over the last few years of Sam Ellinger. OU, only 6.4 yards per play in Big 12 play, which is uh, way lower than what we're, we're used to seeing from Oklahoma's offense, unfortunately. Although playing, uh, I mean, I suppose Texas played that? TCU. TCU's uh, defense didn't look great. Actually, they haven't looked great at all the first two weeks of the Big 12 season. They'll get better. They always do. And, and I, text, I mean, they have a quarterback. Max Duggan's good. He's gotten better. I mean, they have a quarterback. TCU's dangerous. Good. I mean, good for Max Duggan. Totally just night and day. He looks so much better. And I, I mean, everyone thought he wasn't going to play this year. I, we kind of wrote him off because I think coronavirus stuff, but he got cleared and I think he had like one of those heart. Like, was, was he one of those guys? And this is dumb. Maybe you don't know, but was he one of those people that wouldn't have known about some heart thing unless the whole coronavirus thing happened? Yep. Yep. Or, and actually, yeah. uh, so like in a, in a weird way, it was kind of like a blessing in disguise to figure that out. Yeah. So he had a, so they discovered an extra, an extra electrical like valve in his heart that, that produced irregular heartbeats, which is something that, I have experience with, um, and I can, you know, it, it's no surprise to me. It's scary for sure, which I, I, I and, and um, I'm pretty sure when they first said that he was out, they did mention something that it was, it was a, it was a heart thing that they, that they, that they found only with coronavirus testing. Instantly, I kind of thought, oh, I bet it's an electrical thing with his heart. Um, 
and that that turned out to be what it is. But it is one of those things that you can get taken care of really easily. Like the 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 procedure to do it, it's like you're out of commission for three or four days, and then it's just all it, then it's all just mental after that. So uh, good for Max Duggan being back and being yeah. being in a good mental frame. I'm, to I'm where, happy for you know him. he he could Absolutely. have performed like he did again. He played really well in that game. Yeah, and I mean, and we what was his biggest strength before? Well, always his his legs. I mean, he had that super long run against OU. Was that was that two years ago? Or no, last, last year? year. Duggan was a true freshman yeah. last year. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. And so I mean, we know he's super athletic, and but he's he looks like he's a, he's improved as a passer, and he gives he gives TCU a dynamic quarterback back there. Which again, like when Gary Patterson has a quarterback, that team can win a lot of games because that he he can coach defense. He always has in the Big Twelve. Uh, but okay, but you're right. I mean, Texas's offense, Grant, is hey, Iowa State the same. beat that team on the road. What team? TCU. Oh, TCU. Yeah, and they like they put like yeah. Iowa State was way better on offense against TCU than they were against OU. They were big play reliant against TCU, though. Yeah, that's true. They they got a lot of big plays against TCU. I mean, so it was probably pretty similar. <laughs> Might have been. Which I. I think Iowa State's kind of been that way, though. Like I, under, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think we can pretty safely say that I was, you know, Iowa State getting blown out by Louisiana Lafayette in the first week was was a bit of a fluke. Yeah. Even though, well, even though, like, one. even though I, I'm not going to say I was like massively impressed with Iowa State or anything like that on Saturday night. I wasn't. That's an extremely beatable team. <laughs> I just uh, I like their defense, man. Their defense is just it's not like elite, but it it works for what they do. And if they had a better like maybe this is wrong. I don't know. I mean, like imagine that defense. They play so fundamentally sound. John Haycock just knows his stuff. If they had a more reliable offense that didn't turn the ball over so much, they'd be a lot better team. Uh, You know, if I mean, Oklahoma would love to have a defense that can not give up. A bunch of explosive plays. I guess I should have counted up how many twenty-plus yard plays did Oklahoma have against Iowa State. I guess I don't know. I didn't count that up. Uh, they had the first one to Rambo big at the start of the game. Uh, other a lot big of their, explosive a plays. lot of OU's I, explosive plays over the last few years have come in the run game. Run game and like you know that's they're leaving a lot of them on the field. Not the, like there's. Like I said, there's a lot of plays in the last two games that if you insert Ramondre Stevenson there, it's pretty easy to say, oh, yeah, Ramondre would have got an extra 10 there. Oh, God, he may have taken that one to the house. Could have gotten an extra there. He would have ran that guy over. Wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have gotten mm-hmm. out on an arm tackle. With, like, they're everywhere. You can, even, you can insert anyone, Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks. There's just like a lot. Like The running backs are going down really easily, and it's... It's it's making it's making their numbers not look great. Okay, so there was that that clever little shovel pass to McGowan that went for thirty five. Freaking love it, man! Should be there was oh run it, that play fifteen it, times a game, baby. Yeah, uh, throw this into the pile of Spencer Rattler is really really good, and so is Austin Stogner. That third and eleven where he hit Stogner. Yes. See, that's the, see that's like that's one of those things when I watch that. That one for 31 by the way. Yes, when Go I ahead. watch stuff like that I'm like, "Oh my god. That's what Lincoln Riley is talking about when he says this team is close." That play was perfection. Perfect like and they they picked yeah. up all of the blitzers, they identified them. Well, they 
Well, they're, Here, they're, they they sent one extra guy that they didn't have a blocker for. Exactly, and guess and guess what? And what they tell they you? They knew it though. From what I understand. Here, but when that happens, as a quarterback, you're you're supposed to know that you're responsible for that guy. And so Spencer probably knew that, and he's like, okay, I got to get rid of this football. And he got rid of the football because he knew that once that guy was coming on the blitz, I think it was Eisworth. No, no, it was Mike Rose. It was the linebacker. He was in the middle of the field. That opened up. There was no deep safety. And he spent, hopefully Spencer saw that pre-snap, and he knew that it was one-on-one straight up, and he just could put it out there only where Stodner could catch it. That was a, that was a nice play. I mean, that is a fun, great that is play. A, that's advanced. Like that is, that is elite college football level play. That was not panicking, understanding that he's got no safety help. It's a one-on-one. You got a big target. Put the ball where you need to put the ball. And he didn't panic, and he put a he threw a good ball. And to bring it all down, a huge play in the game. Looking back, was not a good throw by Spencer Rattler, where he put it in the dirt to Charleston Rambo on third down in the first half. I think it was the first half. It was seventeen to six. Yeah, and that was big. That was ended up being really big because in Oklahoma, I mean, they keep the chains moving. Maybe they go down and score a touchdown. They make it a three-score game instead. It was an 11-point game, and then Iowa State went down and made it a, a four-point game. So, I mean, again, like you're, you're, you got to pick and choose because Spencer makes a lot more really good plays than he has bad plays. But, but the bad throws have happened. But guess what? We all expected him to make mistakes and bad throws. But, I mean, for a they're normal freshman quarterback, now. they're, they're amplified. amplified. But for a normal freshman quarterback, he's basically he hasn't made very many mistakes at all. <laughs> I mean, he's been he's been so good. I, it's a pleasure to watch him play the, the quarterback position. He's and really good. His his really uh, his good. legs, his 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 ability to get away from a couple sacks. That scramble he had near midfield. I don't know how he got away from that and picked up like not only the first down, but he got like eight more yards slipping by guys. I thought he was going to go down. I mean, his his. Movement in the pocket, getting away, escapability was very, very good. So, yeah, I, I like I I have a lot of fun watching him play football. He's great. Um, let's see here, other uh, other positive stuff. Uh, I, I if I can say one nice thing about the running backs, I think I think as like a third down back, I think Stephen Pledge or Stephen Pledger, ah, old basketball player. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think uh, I think TJ Pleasure is is serviceable like i think he catches the ball nicely out of the backfield he clearly picks up blitzers pretty well um there was a play ah, if i can find there's a play in the second half where um he kind of faked like he was going to pass block and then he saw the linebacker go off into coverage into his zone and so he just he just he replaced uh where the linebacker was and then spencer just dropped it off to him and he picked up like 25 yards off of that. And I thought that was a really nice play. Like that was a nice, that was a nice little like air raid, uh, find your good matchups and then find the open space and go play. Like that's, that sort of stuff is great. Um, yeah, that just, was a great they, play. I'm trying to find yeah. that in the, uh, cause I'm trying to, and, and how it wasn't, ex- he didn't actually sit down. It was more of, he recognized that the linebacker vacated his area and then he kind of ran like a bit of a streak down the field and Spencer recognized it immediately and hit him over the middle. Um, All right. So he got 18 yards on the play. And so it was a really nice play by both, but, but pleasure, but it was kind of a, a microcosm of, of all the issues though, or not all, but like the one issue with the running backs is if you watch that play back, it's so awkward. Pledger makes the catch, and it's almost like he's a magnet, and he like runs right towards Greg Eisworth. 
to like create contact. It's almost as opposed to he was kind of in an awkward spot. Maybe it's just his natural motion. He put his foot in the ground and he, he went that way. But if he could have cut on a different leg, he would have been able to run away from Eisworth to open grass. But he like it's like he was a, there was a magnet pulling him to Greg Eisworth that made it really easy for Eisworth to tackle him, <laughs> which it could have been an even bigger play. I thought that was kind of very bizarre on that play. If yeah, you go back so and watch it, it's weird. So if uh, if you will, just sort of uh, sort of humor me just for for one ultra ultra hot take during this podcast. And I don't even know if it's too hot. I, don't, I, I, think, I think a lot of people will probably nod ahead and agree with me on this. Um, and I, I know I said I was, I, was, I was done being mean to the running backs, but I got, I got one more main thing to say. Sorry, sorry guys. This one-two punch right now, and I just, I just I want to put a stamp on this. This one-two punch right now that they have at running back, I think this is the worst. These are the worst running backs that OU has, has sent out there since the 2003 season when it was Kiwan Jones and Ronaldo works. And even then I would definitely take Kiwan Jones and Ronaldo works over these two guys. That's that, that's Boy. how bad I think it is guys. Um, I, I think, I think a lot of people would maybe be saying, Oh, what about like the Roy Finch and, uh, and Brennan clay years. And I was like, well, I think Roy Finch and Brennan clay is actually probably a really great sort of comparison for these two guys because they're probably the most similar Except Roy Finch and Brennan Clay are way more explosive than these two guys. Here's the thing: when Ramondre Stevenson comes back, and if he he's you know he's ready to go, he's in good shape, and he plays, and and we start seeing some of these runs turn into bigger chunk runs, then I think we're going to be vindicated with what we're seeing. But if for whatever reason the running game still struggles or whatever, then maybe maybe we're not maybe we're missing something. I. I there is, you know, if we're going to do this, I, I feel like I need to provide more, more evidence of just interesting, uh, interesting plays, interesting vision. Uh, so I have in my notes here, this is, this is right before. Lee, it's not, it's the, not even just their success, like it's not even their failed runs. It's, it's their successful runs as well. And I, I already mentioned this, but like even when they are getting four, five, six yards, it's really easy for me to be like, ah, oh, that would have been 20 with Ramondre. That would have been 15 with, with Kennedy. Like, that's, that's yeah. kind of what we're talking about. They're just, they're getting hit and they're going down. And they're not, they're, and the blocks that are being setting up, uh, setting up for them, they're not really, they're not, they're not seeing those. Yeah, just if, if you're questioning us, you want, to, you want some evidence, okay, go back to the drive where Oklahoma makes it 23-23 when Burkett hits that long field goal. It's, it's first and 10, uh, so a few plays before that field goal. He just – it doesn't look like he's seeing where the play is supposed to go because they, they run their bread-and-butter GT counterplay. He's got all five of his offensive linemen in front of him, hat on a hat, a big hole to the right between Adrian Ely and then Marquise Hayes and Humphrey. But instead of running through the hole, he just runs up the back of Tyrese Robinson and gets stonewalled and then loses yardage. It's – I would have loved to see the end zone copy of it to see how it developed. Maybe the the television copy from the side didn't show the full play. Want to be fair, but it sure looked like there was a, it was blocked up, and he just ran up the back of his his teammate. And then a couple of plays later was the was the play where Rattler threw it to Weiss, and it went through his his hands. I mean, yikes! And then that doesn't even include the other one 
I think was that the play that because we were Snapchat <laughs> videos earlier. Was that the play where he tried to cut back and, and make some make some uh, room and Spencer Rattler? He thought he might, was going to block for him, but then Rattler was like, "Nah." That was actually if that uh, was later. That was on the last drive of the game, actually. Oh, was it? Okay. That was the very last drive of the game, and so um, yeah, that was one on the very last drive of the game. He just he he gave up on the play way too early. Um, he. If, if, if he would have followed the direction that he was supposed to go on the play, two things would have, one of two things would have happened. He would have gotten the edge, whereas he would have gotten more yards if he would have gotten the edge, or he would have been met at the line of scrimmage by their linebacker, and he would have been stopped for a loss or, you know, for no gain or a gain of like one or two, you know, which is a lot better than losing six, which is what he actually did. Um, and, and especially at, at that point in the game, that just can't happen. You just can't make that play at that stage of the game. Uh, it's just, um, see so here, other ones, um, pull up OU's third drive. This is, uh, when they go, uh, when they actually go up 17 to six. So this didn't hurt them too much. Um, but on first and 10, uh, kind of, you know, close, close to the red zone, maybe in the red zone, uh, pleasure misses a touchdown run. He doesn't follow his blocks. Uh, it, it kind of opens up, uh, I believe like on the left-hand side, um, of one of them, and that's where he was supposed to go. I'm pretty sure, uh, but instead he was stacked up at the line of scrimmage, and he didn't didn't gain anything. But there was there was definitely some some daylight for him. I wish I would have described it more in my notes. <laughs> yeah, it's tough because you're going through, and we do the same thing. We watch the whole thing back, and you get to the point where you know your notes are always super detailed for the first couple couple quarters, and you're like, all right, this is taking me two hours. I just I got to get through this because I mean I got some incredibly I, one of the, the most annoying things about Iowa State and what they were doing defensively early on in the game, they would, they would start up in a two-by-two two set and they'd motion to a three-by-one set and they would move Jaden Davis to the outside receiver who had just motioned over, which would then put Buki on the inside slot guy, which is normally Charlie Kohler or tight end. And then Buki would play seven, eight yards of, off the ball and then they would just throw the slant because all that cushion, and then I think both of those times was when, when Buki was driving on the ball, missed the tackle, and it turned into a big play. There was Actually, there was another one where they ran an out route instead of a slant route, and Purdy made a horrible throw. The guy had to, to stop and go down to make the catch. If he would not have uh, had to go down to the ground to make the catch, and it would have been a good throw, it would have been basically one-on-one that guy versus Buki 60 yards to the end zone. And would he have made the tackle? I, I don't know. Maybe. It could have been a touchdown, but it was a bad throw by Brock Purdy. So they were, they were using motion to put themselves in positions to where they thought, I think Oklahoma was going to play off the ball, play off the line of scrimmage, and Oklahoma kept doing it. Even late in the game when Iowa State was moving the ball down, uh, was, was moving down, it was like sec- first, or second down and nine. They did the same thing. They motioned over into in, in, a, a tight end over into – here we go. I got now. I, second down to nine. They motion a receiver to create a three by one set. Oklahoma then backs off and they throw a five yard slant for an easy first down. And that was on the the final driver. Iowa State took took the lead. And it was it was after they got nothing on first down. And so th- they clearly had seen something. The offensive coaches saw that if we use motion in this fashion, we're probably going to force Oklahoma to play off coverage, and then that'll set up a really easy read for Brock Purdy with a lot of cushion. And they did it at least four times, if not more, throughout the game. And so Texas is going to see that 
Texas likes to use motion here and there. They're gonna they're gonna try to probably exploit it as well. Fun times, man. Something to keep in mind for that game. Or they won't, and Texas will just run their offense the way they always do and won't make any adjustments and no, even like even in this game, Texas has has been pretty adept a lot of the times at, at picking at OU or they're weak. At least they did when Mike Stoops was the, or at least they did when Mike Stoops at the DC. I wasn't talking into my mic there. That's gonna sound really weird. See, guys, this is what happens when you've been podcasting for an hour and forty minutes. Sometimes you just kind of, sometimes you just sort of sit back in your chair. You don't talk into the mic. I wonder how that's gonna sound on the uh, on the old podcast. <laughs> Anyway, have to do some some audio editing. With yeah, that no, uh, no. Texas has has been pretty adept in the past at at, at picking at OU in their weak spots when Mike Stoops was there. Um, I think last year uh, Alex Grinch and their defense sort of threw a lot of stuff at them. Maybe they hadn't seen before. Um, if you remember, they they heavily used Kenneth Murray like in that bear package against Texas last season, and they just could not handle it at all. I don't really think they have anyone they yeah. can do that with, you know, anymore in this game, but. We'll see. I mean, like that my, Texas I, game um, last year is very similar to some of the stuff we've seen this year as far as Oklahoma dominated that football game and somehow Texas was in it. Somehow. That's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. Remember That's that? one of I the mean, most that, that inexplicably back in close games I had really ever seen. And now, I mean, Oklahoma's offense, it, it's not even an offensive thing. It's just, uh, I mean, Oklahoma dominated that Texas game for the most part for all of the quarters. Granted, I'd have to go back and watch it again. Maybe I could listen to the podcast we had because we did a play-by-play of that pod of that game in our in our rap podcast, which was fun. Uh, but yeah, I, so it's worth pointing out that Oklahoma's defense had a lot of success against Texas's offense last year, and then sacked Ellinger something like ten times or whatever it was, or eight, or it was crazy numbers. It was double digit. Yeah, yeah. But Neville um, Gallimore's gone. Jalen Redmond's gone. Ronnie Perkins may or may not play. I know that. I know Carey at Sooner Scoop is, I think he's reported that he's planning on, or he's supposed to play. I think Jason Kersey might have had that too. I don't know anything. I don't have any inside info. I mean, obviously it'd be nice to have Perkins back out there. I think Ronnie Perkins is going to play. Yeah, I mean, Carey uh, doesn't normally report stuff if he's he's not right. So Yeah, I'm, I'm... That'd be kind of a weird one. There's 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 enough people with credibility who have reported that he's going to play. He's going to play. Um. Yeah, like we can't we can't trust what Lincoln Riley says at his press conference saying, oh, yeah, nothing's changed on that." Well, yeah, like he's actually going to tell Texas that, "Yeah, of course he's going to play." Yeah, I mean, he's been consistent ever since he's been here. We're just keeping things very quiet during OU Texas week and not just OU Texas week, just things in general. That's just kind of his style. But I don't know. I All wonder right. um I honestly haven't uh if if you were to if you were to pull a majority of the fan base how do you think it would come out? How many people do you think are like? Do you think uh, how, how many people do you think think that OU is going to win on Saturday in the fan base? Do you think it'd be pretty high, or do you think the fan base would be pretty fatalistic? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I would probably guess. I would say it's more the latter. I would I would guess most of the fan base is pretty sour and think Oklahoma is going to lose the game, and I I don't think Oklahoma is going to win. And let's just go right to it. We're not we're not making picks the same way we did the last few years. It'd be pointless because again, I was embarrassingly wrong and bad on the Kansas State game. I'm basing it straight off of what I've seen on tape, and I don't trust this defense to play four quarters. It, would this be the game where they finally play a fourth quarter? I hope so. That'd be great and get a win, but. 
uh, I, I don't feel good about it. I don't, I don't feel good about uh, just the, the state of some of these guys. Like, like they're, these defensive guys keep giving up big plays, big plays, big plays. It, I'm, I'm not seeing good technique on the back end. I'm not seeing them look like they know what they're doing. I, they can stop the run fine, but then they're making it really easy on the other team to hit, hit big plays in certain, certain parts of the game. Uh, I think the offense is really good. I like the offense. I don't know much about Texas' defense. It looks like they've been exposed the last couple of games. They're giving up a lot of points. But uh, I, I don't feel good about this game. Oklahoma's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know what the score is going to be. I, I don't feel good about Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma's going to win the game. What do you think, Grant? Yeah, not to be too much of a Debbie Downer, but I think they're going to lose, too. Um, I think it mostly has to do with OU for a lot of the guys on their team right now are in really unfamiliar territory and Texas is not. Texas is very used to being mediocre coming into this game. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I'm serious. And so like, they're going to be able to, I, I think they're going to be able to focus up more and take care of business a lot better than OU is because they're in a familiar position. That's my logic. Yeah. All right. We do have a couple listener questions to answer here before we go. And the, the first one is, is really good and substantive from Justin from the West of Evers Facebook page. And I purposefully did not go over this during our, the long portion of the podcast because I knew that Justin was asking this. He says, hey, just wanted to get your thoughts whenever the next episode is on whether you think there will be any changes in the secondary or maybe the defense in general. Regarding the secondary, it seems there have been some busts, poor angles taken to tackle, missed tackles, and a lack of forced turnovers despite numerous opportunities. Do you think there's a chance we see Cradell, Eaton, or Bryson Washington get a start in the secondary? I know they're all really young, but they seem to be pretty highly recruited, and I think all of them had at least four-star ratings from rivals, and two of them, I believe, are top 200 players. Since the NCAA isn't counting this year against eligibility for players, would it be a good idea to get actual game experience for these guys and really accelerate their development while still being able to keep all of their eligibility? Would appreciate your thoughts if you have the time. First off is... I'll admit, I am not an expert on what the NCAA has said about this year. Is that really true? Can, is, like, is this year straight up a wash for everyone? Like Sam 100% Ellinger a wash, could a come year. back next year if you wanted to? Yes. Nobody's, nobody's eligibility is being counted against them. Sam Ellinger can come back and play next year. No problem. So, so you could go straight. He could go five. He could solidify himself as Texas' record breaker career at everything. Yes. Because he gets an extra year. Yes. No, <laughs> not if. Sam Ellinger can come so you, back so, next year. So you know that for to. sure positive okay wow okay so interesting i didn't know that for sure i, th- I thought maybe this it was is a only free for certain year instances. this is a 100 percent free year interesting which is which makes it even crazier that they just didn't let everybody play this year that is waiting on like appeals or something like that that's why so, yeah. this is crazy because the ncaa has already said hey, lol nothing matters i think that's a good argument in that that issue I think that's a really good argument if it really is true that this year doesn't matter. That's the best argument that you could have for... I know you're referencing the Chris Murray stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much... Th- let's, let's not get into that right now. Let's, let's answer the question posed from the West of Everest Facebook page by Justin. And I've got uh, some comments from... I, I don't have it recorded, but I, I have notes. Alex Grinch was essentially asked about that on Wednesday about other players playing. And so here's what he said. I took the notes on it. He said, uh, as far as the secondary goes, says they're always looking at other options, other personnel, 
looking to find the deficiency that's out there. Got to look at body of work. Won't make one game or one play evaluation on these guys. Have we probably leaned on experience, experienced players early on in the season? Yes, it was the right thing to do. You can only coach the guys who are at practice. We would like to rotate more, getting to the point where we can, and whoever takes the field is going to play at a high level. We've also seen examples of things getting done right, basically pointing out that, hey, not everything has been bad. There has been things that have been done right. So uh, will we see this? Will we see some of those names that you mentioned start or play against Texas? Probably not. I haven't seen no. any evidence or indication that they will. Should they? I have nothing against it. I have nothing against throwing guys out there at this point. I, I, I mean, when you're one and two, you're not going to win a national title. Can you still win a Big 12 championship? Yes, you can. I'm up open for giving chances to other players after certain things I've seen. And Grinch made the point very specifically to say you don't make one play or one game, uh, you know, I guess decisions. He's basing it off a of body of work. All right. Well, I guess we'll see. We'll see how some of these guys respond against Texas, if they can play more fundamentally sound technical football on the edges and in pass coverage. I'd love to see it. Would I, would I like to see other players and see what they look like if they had more fundamentals and better fundamentals? Like I, I've seen pretty good things from Jaden Davis. He's a younger guy. He, he shined. I, I guess for me, it's, Maybe this year is different, like you said, Grant. But like last year, Alex Grinch showed us and told us that if you're good, he'll play you. If, you're, if you've earned the right to play, he'll put you on the field. So maybe he's been more hesitant to do that this year, I guess, because certain guys haven't practiced. I'm just hey, speculating. We, we have no idea know. how much these guys have practiced. Like the, right. the, the, the story came out of fall camp that like before Missouri State, Trey Norwood had practiced like two out of like 40 days that he'd be on, he, he had been on campus. And that was only because of contact tracing. Who knows how much so, yeah. these guys have practiced? Th- th- and that's like, a I, giant I gotta question think mark. If someone was better than the guys who were out there, they would put them out there. Like, I, because I'm, Grinch established that I think a season ago. There is he no gave conspiracy. Everyone a shot to play. There's no conspiracy. The guys that everyone is clamoring to play, they're not there yet. And even guys like Jeremiah Crudell, when he's been out there this season, he's looked terrible. So, like, no. I don't even remember him being out there, really. I mean, I know he, he probably played against Missouri State a little bit, but I don't... I guess, yeah, I don't terrible is strong. Much, he know? just, he didn't look comfortable. Athletically, he didn't look like he necessarily belonged. He looked like he was hesitant, looked like he was still thinking, slow feet. I'd like to see a little bit more from Woody Washington, more snaps for him. I, I haven't really seen... I'd be all right with him getting major, more snaps. You know, I... Major, like, oh, what is he doing out there? I, I, so, I mean, I'd be cool with seeing him out there more, and I want to see more Jaden Davis, too. Uh, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is the only... I think the only two guys who should be losing their job right now are the guys I've already mentioned. I, I think it's, it's Pat Fields and Trey Brown. I, I think those are the two... Those are your two biggest weaknesses on defense right now. But, like, I, with, I do not think there is a guarantee that the guys behind them are better yet. Which, <laughs> I understand, is a scary proposition. Um... Ah, oh, geez, yeah, no, so to, to, I get it. It's it's simply they're not they're not in a great it, spot right now. I think the simple way to put it would be that, based off of last season, whoever's out there, I think, is the best player according to Alex Grinch. What he's seen, because again, I think he gives people 
the opportunity to play. If you're good, you'll play. This year, I'm not so sure that is still the case because of all the uncertainty of who has practiced, who has, you know, who's been able to even be on the field. You know, how much of this is maybe Grinch is like, oh, well, all these guys, they're experienced and they've been able to practice. It's been tough for me. I can't really get reps for anybody else. So technically, the people that are playing are still the best players, but how much of it is because they're beating out other people on the field or maybe players aren't getting enough reps and we don't know. Jeez, man, there was like there was chatter like during fall camp that like, oh, Trey Brown, he's taking that next step. He's going to be really good. I remember him saying that he had forced, I think, had more interceptions in fall camp than he had the year before or more takeaways. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's man. Maybe they just, I don't know. Maybe they just come out on Saturday and it's just like just out of nowhere it's one of those good old-fashioned like 65 to 13 just beat downs and we're all just we're all just totally happy and we just don't expect it that's not going to happen but be really cool if it did it'd be a great way to send sam ellinger out even though he might come back for another year (laughs) oh i wouldn't put it past him at all you like wouldn't wouldn't do it at all that dude loves him some texas i hey there's a part of me who can really appreciate like I kind of I kind of like Sam Ellinger like I like in the sense that he seems like a good guy and he loves college football so obviously like I can relate to that. But ha- having said that, yeah. I hope he just gets absolutely destroyed on Saturday. Hope he never wants to play football again after Saturday. Screw you, Sam. <laughs> All right, one more question. This is a fun one to end the podcast on. Uh, Harry from the West of Ever's Facebook page says, "Okay, boys." with a Z, let's play a game. If you could fry anything for the Texas State Fair, what would it be? Also, what fried food are you going to miss the most? Mine's got to be a tie between fried Dr. Pepper and fried Oreos. And he hashtagged West of Everest and a hashtag we haven't seen ever, hashtag Benson Bros. So I like that. you freaking telling me that fried Dr. Pepper is a thing? I've heard of fried Coke, so obviously fried Dr. Pepper would be a thing too. What do I have Dr. To Pepper do to is get a Texas that in my thing. face immediately? <laughs> so, uh, Harry, great question. This is a great thing to go out on, especially because the Texas State Fair is not not going on, and, and we're all going to miss it. Uh, you know, Grant, you and I have been to you've been how many OU Texas games have you gone to now? Oh, let's see here: 08, 09, 10, 13, and fourteen. So five. All right, and I've been to 08, 09, and 10. I've been to three. So, obviously, we've, we've experienced the whole This is actually kind of an interesting thing, I don't too. know if I've ever... Uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast, but um, the two largest state fairs in the, in the country are Texas and Minnesota. And so, I have, I, I have been to both of, the, uh, both of the Minnesota and the Texas State Fair multiple times, lots of times. And I am here to tell you that they are exactly the same. They look exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to other state fairs as well too, and none of them do it as do it as well as Texas and Minnesota. So, that's true. Hang ha- hang yeah. your hat on that, guys. And Harry's question, the spirit of it is perfect because you go to the state fairs for the food. That's what makes the state fair great, all the crazy cool food. I remember I think the first time we went whenever we watched that 08 game when OU it was a great game and OU lost and 
Ryan Reynolds got hurt and everything went downhill and Texas held 17 times on the Jordan Shipley kickoff return touchdown. And that was that was tough. And so we had to get something walking out of the fair to make ourselves feel better. And I think both of us, was that what we had? Did we have fried either we had fried Oreos or fried Snickers? It was like fried cookie dough, I thought. Oh, fried cookie. Yep, I think you're right. And so that was delicious. Um, That was so good. That was the saddest fried cookie dough I've ever had in my life. <laughs> yes. Walking, yes. Yeah, walking out of the Cotton Bowl, I had just a terrible headache. I was dehydrated. It was like 95 yep. that day. I just, I, I just seen one of the best college football games of all time, and my team lost. Not, not yeah, a great was, time. <laughs> that sucked. That sucked. That did it was suck. such a great game. But yeah, you know, I, hey, I, um, here in Minnesota, the Minnesota State Fair is like a really big deal here. It's a massive deal. And um, I've always tried to explain to my friends just how unique and how freaking cool it is that they play a big time college football game in the middle of that fair. And so I always try to just like just picture the Minnesota State Fair and anyone who's in Texas and Oklahoma picture the Texas State Fair. And like I said, it's exactly the same, same amount of same amount of people, same like same uh, same food stands, like literally exactly the same. Um. And just that many, so that's hundreds of thousands of people, probably like two to 300,000 people a day go to those fairs. And I always try to explain to people here in Minnesota, take the fair that you already know and love, and then just imagine a giant 100,000 seat football stadium in the middle of the fair. And it's maybe the most heated college football rivalry that exists. And they play that game in the middle of the fair while it's going on. And they kind of look at me, they're like, well, geez, that's that's pretty cool. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's legitimately the coolest thing on freaking planet Earth. Man, it's cool. It's uh, it's it's one of the, like I. That's one of those things. I don't know if we've ever really gone into this, but if they ever move that game from the state fair, I will riot. That is one of the mm. best traditions, one of the coolest things that anyone can experience. And what a shame it would be if that if that game's ever moved from the fair. Uh, and it's a shame that it's different this year. There's going to be people will be there, but there's no fair. Uh, I mean, Lincoln Rally said it's going to be eerie, probably with the bus ride in with no no fair, no no fans. It's just hopefully this isn't the case. But I I really feel for anybody on OU in Texas who who is playing in this game this year, and this is the only time they get to play in this game because I I feel really bad for that that player or like if you're a fan and for some random reason this is the only time you ever get to go like it's not going to be anywhere near the same obviously it's just it's a and everyone listening to this podcast probably has been to the OU Texas game at some point I mean we have very loyal OU fans and you all are probably nodding your head sometimes words can't describe things and and I'm I'm somebody who keeps things pretty cool I you know it takes a lot to really kind of get me yeah great like the OU Texas experience is really cool and it's it's what makes it's one of those things that makes life really really neat <laughs> like you can't you ha- you can't describe it you have to experience it the electricity so there's, there's in that callous, place yeah when the game is good and both teams are good oh boy i mean it is it's unlike oh anything gosh. else and i've i've been to the rose bowl i i you know i've Nothing, nothing compares, man. Like it is, it is the coolest thing ever. And you're right; it, it sucks that it's not going to be the same this year. But I'm, I'm still glad they're they're playing the game in the Cotton Bowl at least. Um, same. But yeah, I, I just 
I get I get chills thinking about it. That game brings a tear to my eye, man. It's beautiful. It's a it's 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 one of just the greatest things in this country. And I know that's hyperbolic, but it is. It's 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 just beautiful and it's uniquely American and I love it. You know, in the past I might I might make fun of you and be like, "Oh, come on, it's just sports a little bit." Cuz like I I agree it's a big deal, but really, come on, that big. Now, over the last 9 months, 10 months of our lives, I you know, you know me, Grant, I used to be I think I said this on the podcast before. I, you know, I'm one of those people that it's just sports. It's not that important. It's not that big of a deal. It's just don't get super into your team. Don't go crazy. It's at the end of the day, which I hate saying that, it's just sports. I think 2020 has has shown us that it's it's not just sports. Sports I have learned based on what I do for a living. I mean, my job totally changed for 6 7 months. Luckily, I was able to keep it. Thankful to my company I work for, Griffin Communications. Very thankful. Great. And, and I was able, in a tough time for a lot of people who've, who've gone through things and have not been in work. I, when sports went away, I was able to keep my job, but it, it changed my job big time. And it, it's, it was different, and I didn't like it. And it's, it's different now, but I'm glad that sports are back. But it's not the same. But I'm glad they're back. But thinking to what it is like on a regular OU Texas weekend, that is why sports is so so important because it brings all these people together. And even though the stadium is split in half with different colors and different rivalries, we're all there together. We're all Americans. We're all at the game, and, and we're all having a good time, and it's fun. It's, it's sport. And the, the hate, the rivalry, it's, it's just it's a sports hate. This is, you know, I mean, it's, see, this is, it's, this is healthy tribalism. This is healthy hate. This is, this is where you're supposed to get it out of your system in a healthy way. Um, yes, and, and I it's just, not yeah. there. It's not going to be there for this year. And when it when it comes back, whenever that is, hopefully, way sooner than later, I will have a lot more appreciation for it. And I and I think, I I mean I I don't know. I'm not going to thank coronavirus. That's stupid. But like I guess in a way, I'm I'm glad that I got some perspective because I needed it. I did, and I think maybe a lot of people needed it too. Maybe not just me, but we're we're going to really appreciate the the simple things and the, and the good things in life when they come back. And and so the, this game is that big and that important to our to the, the the culture of OU and Texas fans, to Texas, just the state and this country. It's big. It's not just OU and Texas. People around the country watch that game every single year. It's, it's a huge deal. And, and the people, you know, the alumni and the fans of this team and the players. This game means a whole hell of a lot, and like I, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought up like you know the people who say you know it's just sports or whatever. But games like this, while that it is you know quote unquote just sports, when you're there, oh man, it feels a whole hell of a lot bigger than that, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's it's just cool. It's a cool feeling. If if anyone's listening to this who ha- who has not experienced that game, hopefully 2021 will be back to normal and you can go. You have to go. It is worth any amount of money that you have to pay. If you're like, ah, that's too rich for my blood, it's worth it. I promise you. All right. So answer the damn question, Grant. Which food would you fry? <laughs> I'm, okay. Harry's just on the edge of his seat, man. He wants to know. I don't like fried foods. I know. I, I, this, is, this is me trying to dance around this thing. Even yeah, when I go to the state fair, insane. guys, I don't really ever get fried food. I don't like it. I all in fried foods. All I can taste is the oil. That's all I can taste. Um, having that been said, the the best like fried thing I've ever had. Like I, I've had really good fried cookie dough. Like that's my favorite. Um, 
a fried Snickers sounds really great. And actually, now that I think about it, I bet there's a, I bet there's a bunch of just like delicious meals you could fry and they would probably be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, instantly I think of some sort of sweet, like a chocolate thing. I love chocolates. So, like, I've already had the cookie dough. I've had a fried Snickers. So like, obviously, everything that I want fried has already been fried. Like, I've never had fried Reese's. I'm sure that's really good. Um, like savory foods fried like that's not supposed to be fried the first thing that came to my mind was like somehow like fried mac and cheese i don't know how that i'm sure that's possible i've had fried mac and cheese it was good yeah like so i guess maybe to be different that um so uh, but i would definitely try the fried dr pepper harry and i haven't oh, tried I totally fried coke. it sounds weird i don't know what that is like because you think you think of soft drinks as like they're cold i think they cold. freeze them so and then they, it's like some sort of weird, it, it, it's a weird process that they do. I think they like deep freeze it with like, with like really strong, like whatever. I don't even know what you would call it. So that yeah, it's like hard as a rock. I don't know the process. Yeah. And then you, and then you, you deep fry it or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, I, I love me some Dr. Pepper. So I would, I would totally do some deep fried Dr. Pepper. Do you but, know where Dr. Pepper was created? No, I don't, but... Oh, come on. I mean, I was I was going to say, though, the one thing that is not overrated about the Texas State Fair, or any, like those those corn dogs that they have there, they only do have those at the Texas State Fair. They don't have those at the Minnesota State Fair. Those are the only edible corn dogs on planet Earth. So I will say that. Those are really good. The, uh, the Fletcher's? The, the Fletcher's corny dogs are really good and are the only edible corn dogs on this Earth. So... I love corn dogs. I love corn dogs. Well done. Man. Uh, I, I'm offended that you don't know where Dr. Pepper was created. It's it's only your favorite city in the state of Texas. Waco. It's a Waco place, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. Be- uh, longstanding. Uh, no, I was just say like longstanding listeners to our. <laughs> if any of you listened to our college radio show twelve years ago, would get that bit. Holy cow. Oh jeez, yeah. We'll explain that it's been one. Twelve someday. years, yeah. Uh, All right, you, so you're you gonna sign go. This off already. This is getting stale. All right, yep, we're done. Uh, enjoy the game this Saturday. Hopefully, Oklahoma wins, and uh, hopefully, you all are in, in in a good mood. And Grant has brightened your day up to give you a little bit more of a positive outlook on the Oklahoma football program. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.